I love that you explained that to me. This is like, you know, you were telling me I had to save the last call for the before the credit sequence. That is a beautiful before the credit sequence where you're like, well, because you're like, it's okay, Jeff. It's very simple. You just say the name of the podcast, say who we are. And I'm like, I'm Jeff Dreckcast, Hawk, Block, Drock. Hey, hey. All I'm saying is, you normally do the way it was. No, I know, I know, I know. And you're right. Yes, you. Nope. Nope. Uh-uh. Okay. That attitude. Citizen, welcome to Drock, our uh, monthly read through of the Judge Dredd complete case files published by 2000 AD slash Rebellion. And uh, I am one of your two co hosts, Jeff Lester. You probably know me from the Wait What podcast and the uh, Dearly Departed Baxter Building podcast. And with me is my mighty and charming co-host. Wait, who is the mighty and charming co-host? Oh. I'm Graham McMillan. Hi. You'll know me also from the Weibo podcast and the Baxter Building podcast. So, yeah, it's almost like Jeff and I do this all the time. Yeah, almost. And we are coming to you live from Jan Michael Vincent Block to discuss Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 2. You know what? John Michael Vincent is going to be happy for that reference. I hope so. I hope so. I, I was I was worried that it was a little too on the nose because Jan Michael Vincent is in many ways a sort of lingering inspiration for today's episode. First of all, it's timely because didn't he die this week? Oh, Jesus, did he? I hope not. I, th I think he did. Like, I really think he did. Oh, God. Let me go and look. I just... No, I'm going to look. Okay. Yes, he died. Oh, no. <laughs> Jan Michael Vincent. No, wait, no. no. That's just hilarious. Jesus. The New York Times just reported it this week, but apparently he died in February 10th. Wow. So there you go. I love Darewolf. We're totally getting off track. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're doing um, Complete Case Files Volume 2, which is Prog 61 through 115 from 1978 to 1979. That's right. There were a few things before we started in on Volume 2, I feel like, which might be prudent to go into. For example, uh, those of you who joined us uh, last episode for Drock episode one where we read through the first complete case files uh there was a lot of graham and i trying to put our finger on the nature of uh the titular character judge dread and uh vord 99 who is a listener of the podcast both this and wait what sent in an excellent comment uh yes, over at waitwoodpodcast.com and it's genuinely amazing yeah it, it's like both you and i i think felt humbled by when we read we were like oh if only if only we were as good as that yes completely and i i would like to read it because uh it, um i think the the his entire very long comment uh talks about a few of the things we we batted back and forth covers a very crucial part of dread's uh character that makes sense and i also think um will help set the stage for judge dread the complete case files volume two because me i'm sort of as an old school batman fan i can't help but think of uh volume two of course as being the two-face volume in that it's it's very 
Janus Genesian, I suppose, in that uh, we'll get into this in, in more depth soon. But basically, Complete Case Files Volume 2 is more or less two enormous mega epics side by side, one written by Pat Mills, largely, and the other written, uh, I think, largely or entirely. Entirely by John Wagner. Yeah, by John Wagner. And they each have very different conceptions of dread and very different stories that they're telling. So I feel like um, some of Ford uh, 99's observations about Wagner and dread, I feel like would be a great sort of preamble to the episode. So if you don't mind, Graham, I'd like to, I'll, I'll read it in full. Please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so he starts off by saying on the whole, aren't foreigners funny racism of it all. One could spend a long time unpacking how this fits into the long, slow crisis of British, especially English identity in the post-war period. Parentheses. Obviously, the complexities of national identity with regard to how England relates to foreign countries are no longer in any way a problem. And this is not topical at all from a 2019 perspective. <laughs> and of course, this is coming out of a scene dominated by war comics in which encountering people with funny accents and then shooting them was the routine. It's very much something appealed, I hope not appeals, to children. I remember reading an old book on political socialization in Western Europe sometime after this, but the book was, if I'm remembering correctly, from the early 80s, so the research would have been done about this time or not long afterwards. One thing it indicated was that children acquired their sense of which foreign nations were good and bad much earlier than they could relate to that history. I specifically remember that British children knew that Germans were supposed to be bad and Americans were supposed to be good before they knew anything about the Second World War, let alone the first. They acquired the attitudes first and the historical knowledge to inform them later. But here's one thing that fascinates me about Dredd. He's a foreigner himself. It's really odd that this character who is, as Graham McMillan says, almost certainly the most important single thing to come out of British comics and is an iconic British character, isn't actually British. He's American. Parentheses. Am I the only person who has difficulty imagining Dredd's accent? Close parens. At this point, one has to note that John Wagner lived in the U.S. until he was 12 and after that grew up in Scotland. Plus, he has a German name. There is no way that he wasn't teased about that when he was a child. This is likely, this is liable to make someone highly conscious of national identity as an issue, I think. It also makes Wagner very different from Pat Mills. Wagner has talked about how he feels that moving from the U.S. to Scotland placed him in a more disciplined environment and that this was a good thing that more or less saved him. It's quite difficult to imagine Mills ever describing discipline as a good thing like that, especially in the context of school-aged children. I find it very hard to resist seeing a lot of Wagner's background in dread, a fantasy about an undisciplined, sprawling American urban world, which is kept in working order solely by being under uncompromising control by a figure who more or less embodies discipline on any level, especially in that iconic description when he comes back to Mega City One, the most violent, evil city on earth, but God help me, I love it. Parentheses, the first really memorable line in Dread, I think, close parens. I think an important aspect to how R Wagner writes Dread is not that he's is that he's not the good guy, but he's not the bad guy either. And yet he's not complex. It's that Dread sort of sidesteps the good guy, bad guy dynamic entirely. Going out on a limb, I feel that there might have been some strict school teacher, presumably long since dead, from Green Rock in the 1960s, who deep down somewhere inside Judd 
John Wagner might be the real Judge Dredd. Scotland still had corporal punishment in schools at that point, which might not be irrelevant. Our hosts were very good on how the cities, citizens of Mega City One are basically idiots with no impulse control, which is to say that they're children. Dredd is the grown-up disciplinarian who's very much in control of a much larger number of children, which is a situation that maps primarily onto the classroom in normal real life and is therefore perfectly suited for a child to latch onto. Dredd's world feels psychologically real to a 12-year-old. Obviously, Judge Dredd is only very thinly set in a future America, though. This is something that I only fully grasped after moving to the U.S. myself. Instead, it's set in a future version of America as it appeared in pop culture from a British perspective. Big cities, cops, lots of multi-lane highways. The identification of the U.S. with big cities, especially New York, is a very European thing and contrasts with the ambivalent way in which Americans themselves define the relationship of big cities to American identity, which is often located in small towns in opposition to the big city. That, via Wagner's earlier one-eyed Jack, Dredd's ancestor is Dirty Harry, is well known. But the note that One-Eyed Jack is itself uh, a Western, in, in its title, Western Riff. And the Western influence is there well before Luna City 1. Dredd is routinely referred to as a lawman, and stories often turn on shootouts determined by who can shoot first. Mega City 1 is simultaneously a violent urban hellscape and a sort of untamed Western frontier in need of, you guessed it, law. Pretty much exactly as in a Western and all the very concretely depicted others that are beyond the boundaries of normal civilized society, the mutants, the trogies, etc., I'm afraid that these are fairly clearly stand-ins for the ways that Native Americans are depicted in Westerns. So, primarily 70s cop films and shows, I would include self-consciously gritty, modern, and like the American-British products like The Sweeney and The Professionals under this heading, mashed up with Westerns in the future, but with all sorts of other bits of Americana from a post-war British perspective thrown in there. America is the country with all the big cars. America is the country from which there's always some new technological product. America is the country from which films come. And layered in with that, the Mikado trick, where you set something in a foreign country as a parody of your own. There's something in the robots, for instance, which connects with the way in which British cultural products can find endless interest in dissecting class as an issue. Which is another area where I don't think Mills could have ever written what Wagner does. For Mills, Call Me Kenneth would have to be a hero because Call Me Kenneth hates the right people. C.F. Mills's uncomfortably starry-eyed naivete about the IRA. <laughs> and I really think that this has to be some extent about the way in which Britain went from being the most important country in the world to being part of a world in which America was the most important country in the world. That love-hate relationship between the formal imperial power and its replacement, the ally whose language it shares and whose culture can therefore so easily penetrate its own. About, that, about the consequences of that for British national identity, or more exactly about how that affects the way that Britain relates to images of America in British pop culture. But I think Wagner was the perfect writer for all this because it's also about leaving one country when you're old enough to grasp what that means, but not so old that it makes you forever an expatriate. Leaving it because your Scottish mother split up from your American father after a happy, unhappy marriage, 
leaving a country that you identify as a chaotic environment where you're always getting into fights and in trouble for a country that you identify as a secure and orderly environment, and yet being inevitably interested in the country you left behind in a way that's different from being interested in an entirely foreign country and being able to access an outsider's perspective on the country that you've joined in a way that only someone who is conscious of having joined it can do. Uh, so he's got a few other bits and pieces that are also similarly brilliant, but I'm going to keep that there because I feel like there was so much there that answered questions that I had during the course of the first case files. And but, but as you said, there's so much that sets up what we're about to go into. Absolutely. You know, because this is, as you said, like almost the Mills versus of Dread versus the, the John Wagner versus of Dread in, in Case Files 2. But also, you know, it don't, I don't think it gets more Western mm -hmm. than the Curse Earth mm -hmm. for Dread. Yeah. You know, something I do want to, to bring up in response to this, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last episode or not. Wagner apparently moved to my hometown in Scotland. Really? Yeah, he apparently moved to Greenock. Wow. And he's given interviews, and I don't know how true this is, but he's given interviews where he said that Mega City 1 is inspired by my hometown. No. Specifically. Really? As opposed to, yeah, as opposed to, like, you know, his memories of America. Wow. Um, part of that is Greenock. Uh, I I haven't been there for many years. Let's, let's just throw that out there right now. Mm -hmm. But Greenock uh, did not have a good reputation. Mm -hmm. and I think had earned that bad reputation <laughs> in many ways. Wow. There, there was, I want to say it was from the Daily Record, it was from a Scottish newspaper anyway, where Wagner had apparently like been quoted somewhere saying that Mega City 1 was inspired by Greenock because Greenock was the shittiest place on earth. <laughs> uh, and I probably, like, I'm, I'm almost certainly misremembering that, but it, that was the, the implication. The implication was like, you know, this is the, a hellhole. And that is what inspired Mega City One. And I remember, like as a kid, really loving that. Like I remember having that newspaper article like pinned up in my wall. Oh man, that's awesome. But it's funny that you know, I I think I think we're just right in mm -hmm. in, in talking about like the the influence of the American cultural impact on Wagner. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that Wagner left America. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this last episode, and I, I'm sure this is going to be a running theme through this entire series. Dread is a very British strip. Mm -hmm. but It's not really about America, but it's about the idea of America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And really, the stories America tells itself, especially in the early years, it's very much a response to American media. Right. Right. No, I agree. Although I'm fascinated, I, I want to see the extent to which my suspicion is as times change, as as the world, uh, uh, as our world essentially gets smaller thanks to technology and culture becomes uh, even more amorphous. Uh, yes. I, I do think that there is the uncomfortable morphing of Mega City One from a version of America to perhaps a, a version of, of Britain or the UK. I'm, I'm not sure that's necessarily true as much as there's a, it definitely becomes a more complex and less trope filled place. Mm -hmm. And part of it is 2080 as the series matures. Right. And Wagner as a writer matures, mm -hmm. you know, like, but not just Wagner, everyone working on Dread around Wagner. I mean, you look at Dread today, mm -hmm. you, almost never see anything as broad as you do in this volume mm -hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. and, and Mills and Wagner are broad in very different ways. Mm-hmm. But there is, I mean, there's astonishingly broad comedy, but also action mm-hmm. in these stories. It's oh, yeah. not, the broadness isn't just re- related to the comedy at all. Mm-hmm. And I, And you just really rarely see that in dread these days Mm -hmm. but mega city one becomes much less of a place filled by cliches and tropes Mm -hmm. and when you get the you know the stories about the mega city one citizens it is much more like eisner's spirit Mm. you know where where they're interesting oddities or they're they're like flawed people or they are people who have their own stories but not in a cliched way that you get in the early years Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and 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 so I think I'm not sure it's necessarily that Mega City One becomes Britain as much as Mega City One, and this is going to sound ridiculous, pretentious, but becomes Mega City One. <laughs> like, well, as, no, as, right? As, as, but as a yeah. fictional location, it has been in existence for 42 years by now. Right. You I know, on 42 years of continuous publication. Right. Right. Yeah, and no, it's, it's right. funny because I feel that it's got its own culture in a way that like Metropolis never has, and that's been in existence for twice as long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, or or even Gotham City, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, it's funny because I I I think I think there's a lot to be said for the idea that that may, maybe in the sense it's more that uh, the world has become more like Mega City One <laughs> over the last forty years in some ways as as well. You know, yes, there's really parts in Wagner's storyline in this book mm-hmm. that the day the law died that are uncomfortably close to today's reality. It's amazing, isn't it? I like, know, I like know. genuinely, yep. like, breathtaking when yep. you consider this book is 40 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there really are. There's, there's bits where Wagner is essentially writing Donald Trump just maybe a step further than Donald Trump is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, like, yeah, like exactly. Like, actually calls for a wall at one point. Yeah, that's, that's the killer where you're just you like, know? yeah. Yep. But it really is. It's a moment where you just stop reading the book and you're like, wait. Yeah. Okay. Before this, he was a narcissist who thought he was the best at everything. And, you know, but now he's actually calling for a wall. Exactly. Yep. Um, we, we're getting we're getting way off track. <laughs> or way ahead of the track. We've got to sort of trot back to the path and uh, and get back on it. But yeah. Okay. So, so let's start with last time we talked a lot about you know, what the book meant and how we took the book and how we read the book mm-hmm. as opposed to talking through the individual stories. But really, this book is two stories. Yeah. And so I kind of want to take it as the two stories this mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's theoretically two main storylines and then like three shorter storylines at the end. And when I say shorter storylines, I mean, I think it's one episode, two episodes and three episodes. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, let's focus on the on the the. the Big epic stories, mm-hmm. and so the first one of those, which is starts with the very first uh, episode in this book, is the Cursed Earth. Yes, which is Pat Mills's mega epic. It runs from Prog sixty one through eighty five. Mm-hmm. It very much feels like Mills's idea of dread, as realized as it's ever going to get, mm-hmm. and writes almost every episode. Mm-hmm. There's there's maybe throughout those twenty five episodes, I think there's maybe six he doesn't write. Yeah, that could be. That could be correct. But for all intents and purposes, it's Mills's dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes with a lot of problems for me. Mm-hmm. I have the feeling you like this more than I do. 
Oh, I, I, I think, I think that you, yeah, I mean, I think that is a safe agreement. And if I do, I, I don't want to say that I suggest I don't like the Curse Earth. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you know, the Curse Earth is. I was talking about dread being broad in these episodes, and the Curse Earth is honestly at times far too broad for me. Mm. It's 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 dread as cartoonish. Mm-hmm. It's dread as, for example, last time I talked about my difficulty with the the, the Return of Rico story ending with yes. he ain't have my brother. Yeah, and like Curse Earth starts with that. Mm-hmm. The virus that's a, that's afflicted Mega City Two is called Tutti Fruity. Right. Yeah, you know, and and it's it, but it's written as numeral two T open brackets F R U close brackets T right, but it's tutti frutti, right. you know, um and and you get that you get uh, spikes Harvey Rotten right, you know you you get tweak you get all like really broad cartoonishness, and 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 for that matter you get um Satanus and Jurassic World like Jurassic Park like. Mm-hmm. You know, twelve years before the book comes out. Yeah, but but it is this. I get the feeling that Mills sees Dread as a very cartoonish science fiction strip in a way that Wagner doesn't. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny because I had really very much expected. Uh, listeners, Graham and I had like talked a little bit before this officially got rolling, and we also had some emails throughout the week, and and at one point. Graham had emailed and had mentioned like, yeah, I, you know, he's like, I've been trying to keep super good notes, but then I'll, I'll start reading the Judge Cal story. And I just, I just, I, I get absorbed all over again. And considering I was still busting my ass to get through the cursed earth and everything <laughs> else is going on. My, my reactions were like, oh shit. And also like, oh man, I can totally see this being like this weird binary split of, I love the Cursed Earth, you love Judge Cal, and then, you know, fight. Never but, the twin shall meet. Exactly. Yeah. But the but the fact is, I, I adore the day the law died. And I, I you know, as much as I hate not, to... It's not without its cartoonishness. It's not without its problems. I don't oh. want to suggest, like, you know, the Cursed Earth is like, it's pretty good. And then Cal, the Cal storyline is, is flawless. Right. Because it's not. It's just that where their cartoonishness is... And where they go broad are in very different directions. Yeah, 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 and and uh, arguably, and honestly, for where, very where I think, ends. yes, and where I think the character, where I think both writers see dreads, mm-hmm. and for that matter, what dreads, what dread as a series should be, and what dreads world should be, mm-hmm. feel very different. Yeah, and I ultimately am far more interested in what Wagner wants to do than I am in what Mills wants to do. Well, and I, I think in another world. If we'd never seen Wagner's Dread, mm-hmm. Mills's Dread would still be this incredibly well-loved comic mm-hmm. because it's it's good stuff. The mm-hmm. Cursed Earth is a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, it it really is, especially for early 2008. It's a wonderful example of that stuff. Yeah, you know, the luridness, the pulp quality, the fast-paced quality. Yeah, it's got all of those things. Yeah. No, uh, uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's also things that are uh, somewhat very tiring, but um, but there's so much. A lot of what I love about Mills um, is just really pushed to the forefront of the cursed earth. And I actually just absolutely adore the first 
two thirds of the storyline, maybe three quarters of the storyline. Um, but there are some problems. Uh, and more oh, there's to, a lot. Of problems. Let, I, I think I think, you know, rather than sort of speak in the generalities, I'll talk a little bit more about Wagner's dread later. But mm -hmm. I will say from having you know, sort of peeked in, like gone back to throw power overload, the the excellent, you know, overview of the history of 2000 AD and also uh, Pat Mills's Be Pure, Be Vigilant and Behave and and poke around a little bit. Um, you know, Mills spends a lot of time and admittedly in both cases after the very, very after the fact. So it should be taken with tremendous amounts of of, of salt in a way. He's very much, as he puts it, a little – he has problems with Dredd as a character, which is to say that Dredd is, as he calls him, an automaton. And he has – he tries to come up with ways to solve that of which – the the you know the return of Rico Dread is is one of those solutions by super overhumanizing Dread. I mean, not too much, but you know, doing that that major component, and then uh, uh, essentially the cursed Earth is a way for Mills to also solve that problem, which is rather than have Judge Dread be in Mega City One and be a figure of authority, which is something that, you know, as Vord 99 points out, Mills has a very, very complicated... Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, the idea of Mills just writing a straight-up head lawman is, you know, almost abhorrent to Yeah, to it's, it's anathema you know, Mills, Mills to sees, mm -hmm. Yeah, Mills sees himself as uh, maybe not a figure of chaos, but someone who certainly favors chaos over order. Right. F figures, f like, favors chaos over order... And and I think very much uh, I, I think there's something to be said for this, too. It can be very, very difficult to create a, a traditional sense of of drama um, when you have your figure is more or less, you know, one figure in a group of other cops like we. Vord 99 mentions Dirty Harry, as I believe that we did as well in the previous episode. One thing that I think is very important to point out and interesting about Dirty Harry, uh, the film, is how nicely the plot dovetails with the conservative politics mm -hmm. of Don Siegel, the, the director, but also how much it I've always felt that sometimes part of the problems with doing drama is that you can try and solve a dramatic problem in a way that ends up having some huge, enormous real life consequences. Like one person against many people is inherently dramatic. Many people against one person is not essentially It isn't it, you don't, the whole concept that we're trained to root for the underdog is very odd. So, uh, in the sense of when you come to something like Dirty Harry, if you've got like one lone figure who's up against an entire police force, it, it doesn't actually seem dramatic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you move it into a realm where, oh, but the cops are actually curtailed by liberal society and 
all their attempts to actually protect the citizenry is always being screwed up by the citizenry itself because it's always wanting to mollycoddle the criminals, you know, becomes this whole thing of like all of a sudden Dirty Dirty Harry feels um, urgent and satisfying to an audience, but but purely on dramatic grounds on the sense of all of a sudden he's just one lone man again. He's not a force of society or a segment of society. And this is this, again, is part of the reason why Westerns work is you can have your figure of authority be entirely alone. It's always like one lone sheriff against, you know, innumerable outlaws. And that's basically the solution that Mills goes on to take with the cursed earth is rather than uh, on the one hand, whether it's both dramatically and uh, I, I'm not sure what I want to say ethically, at least in the sense of a personally defined sense of ethics for Mills, it makes more sense for him to take dread out of mega city one, where he is an authority figure and put him in the cursed earth, you know, where he suddenly, you know, the one lot, you know, the lone voice of order yeah, in a sea exactly. of chaos. Yeah, exactly. He, he is, he's the sole arbiter of, of yeah. maybe not even order, but like uh, morality, perhaps? Right. Because it, it's very noticeable that everyone Dread comes up against in Cursed Earth mm-hmm. is inhuman to some degree mm-hmm. or, or immoral mm-hmm. outside the norm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not just outside the the like dreads version of the norm mm-hmm. but but actually abhorrent in some to some degree mm-hmm. whether they're like literally a dinosaur mm-hmm. you know literally a dinosaur who's going to see or you know you've got the the you got figures who believe that they are are the messiah or you have mm-hmm. uh in vegas you know everyone is is comedically corrupt right you know yeah, everyone. It, 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 he's he's literally this figure who represents sanity, right? And I think who, that's who actually important. Against the insane. yeah. Be, because what happens is dread runs into other situations in which quote unquote order of a sort has been set up, and just as Mills would want and believes that order is deeply corrupt, and so. It's it, he's able to sort of more or less flip the flip the formula on its ass, and suddenly Dread is the guy. I mean, one of the very earliest Cursed Earth stories has Dread and his team of people coming into a town. Uh, maybe it's Deliverance, where there's a lawgiver who is you know handing out meting out punishment to this couple, such that they're going to be set upon by the devil's lapdogs. And the lawgiver holds a big staff. He's got a beard. You know, it's it's one part your typical, like, dude from 70s science fiction movies and TV shows. But it, it kind of also is the fact that he's named the lawgiver and Dredd himself is obsessed with the law. You know, Mills isn't even really being like, oh, I'm doing a mirror image here thing. Because honestly, it feels like he's not paying that much attention. But you get that, you get a situation. Oh, I was going to mention Vegas, where he comes up against all the other corrupt judges. And then I remember that's actually one of the Wagner contributions to uh, the Cursed Earth as well. 
but um but there's but certainly with the introduction of tweak it's very much from the uh environment of slavers and slavery and and again corrupt figures of authority um and it it makes it it's really it's 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 a very comfortable uh, storyline for Mills to craft for himself. Yeah, exactly. No, because no longer is is Dread necessarily representing a figure of order that he himself right. would resist. Yeah, he's representing something greater. Yeah, you know he 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 fits into a mythical narrative that I think Mills can support. Right, and it, it, it's it's interesting that you know in this in like you said the the, the Return of Rico story. And and actually, in some of the earlier dressers that Mills wrote as well, Mills takes dread out of what we consider the dreads concept mm-hmm. in order to tell the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're not a mega city one, yeah. or you're not actually fighting. A, a, you're not actually. I was going to say solving crime, which is not what dread does. You're not punishing lawbreakers. Yes. Instead, you're being hunted by your brother, right? Who who believes you have wronged him, mm-hmm. and he, he you know he he. Picks at he sort of works around the character as opposed to working the character. Right. Well, again, he's kind of at that stage of he's he's aware of the rules of dread that are in place and how the character sort of how the character works. It's just it's a way that he can't really fully do and so like you said he's gotta he's gotta he's gotta sidestep it and he has a lot of you know solutions that involve um you know quote unquote humanizing dread in in various ways that that uh that i think other people just kind of wouldn't do in the same way um it's tough because the cursed earth, you know, for example, chapter one, Forbidden Fruit, starts off with Dread in Mega City One, and he is encountering one of an old friend of his, Red. So you've got Dread and Red. It's like the Huey, Dewey, and Louie uh, of the <laughs> well, Dreadverse. But, but but again, getting back to what Virg was saying, isn't Red like a very particularly cowboy name? Oh, completely, absolutely. Red you know, like, Rider. Red. Mm-hmm. But yep. it feels very, you know bold western hero and yeah. he is like you know he's this pilot who who essentially rides the range yes yeah exactly and uh basically and yeah stagecoach driver you know who ends up coming to mega city 2 where the where the tutti fruity uh plague has broken out and you know again you mentioned jurassic park i do want to give a shout out for to uh tutti fruity uh, in the sense that it is a disease that was uh, left over from the Great Germ War, that it turns people's skin gray, it scrambles their brain, and it turns them into cannibals. So essentially, it's, you know, it's a zombie plague, which is perfect because, you know, again, Dawn of the Dead is out at just about this same time. But again uh, as you point out it's to me the idea that that the the virus was called tutti frutti was i thought really sort of fun and clever when you actually get the attack shown in flashback of red's ship being jumped by the citizens of mega city 2 and yelling out tutti frutti tutti frutti it's it's mills's <laughs> it's it's mills 
inability to hold off on over-egging the pudding. Right, he can't. Right. That's what that's what I mean when I, you know, I'm talking about the, the broadness mm-hmm. and how it, it really does feel like Mills can't help himself but going too broad. Yeah, yeah. No, you know? it, yeah, it's super... I, I, he can't, he, like you said, if for whatever reason, he is compelled to. Um, the other thing that's, that's absolutely fascinating to me is the cursor doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the the concept behind the series, uh, behind the storyline, literally doesn't make sense. Red comes here and he's like, you know, we were taking this antidote, we flew there, we landed, we rushed the airport because the, the Tutti Frutti virus victims have taken the airport. Uh, I barely got away. And and they're saying, oh, well, if, if now that we can't fly in, there's only one thing we can do, which is to drive across America yeah. and deliver on food. Mm-hmm. But that literally doesn't make sense because while they do that – they like they hit Vegas. They hit other urban areas, which right. makes you think, why can't they just fly there and then drive from there? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I think it's the second chapter. Mm-hmm. Dread has this moment where he goes, "Oh, we can fly to the moon, but we have to drive across a radioactive wasteland. Look what we've done to this planet." Right. And it's another thing that just reminds you, they shouldn't have to drive across America. Right. There, there's another way. Well. So they definitely make it sound like there is another way. Part of the reason, I mean, part of the reason why I, uh, I, and this is perhaps my own over-egging of the pudding, mentioned that we were coming from Jan Michael Vincent block is Jan Michael Vincent is one of the stars of Damnation Alley, which is a, a movie based on a Roger Zelazny short story slash novella about a ruined America in which a a super awesome motorhome of, you know, top surviving civilization has been squeezed down to to one van and some cool motorcycles. And the movie adaptation came out to a lot of fanfare, I think back in 77, 78, it was kind of a big turd. Um, and young Jan Michael Vincent is, uh, you know, he and George Papard give it all their worth. Uh, and this apparently was the inspiration for the cursed earth. Uh, Mills claims that, uh, the editor of the book at the time of 2000 AD brought it to him as the idea for the cursed earth. So they start off with this idea, which again, me being a big fan of, you know, comic stories where it's like whatever 70s B movie people have been watching becomes the impetus for their for their next um, epic. I'm I'm down with that as as a form of uh, uh, creative inspiration. But it's fascinating to me uh, uh, that um, the the other tactic that Mills goes on to talk about um, in either Throw Power Overload or his book is the idea that he did not know where the story was going. You know, he very much had the, okay, I'm going to riff on these guys driving across America. And the thing that's to me, both it's that starts off as a virtue, but I think by the end is not nearly the virtue that you would think that it it makes it out to be because ultimately it's sort of this Western frontier slash hellscape 
that dread and his the, the intrepid crew of his of his killdozer slash land rover whatever the hell the damn thing is called have to you know maneuver through this country is you start seeing more and more places where like you said it doesn't really make any sense and the, the thing about the cursed earth that is is fascinating is calling it a story is a little bit of it's it's like calling the the skit on a rap rap album a play you know what well, i mean it, it, that's just it like it's it's called a story it's considered a story it's called the cursed earth parts one through 25 mm -hmm. and there is a an uber narrative mm -hmm. dread sets off from mega city one to drive to mega city two to deliver the antidote for this virus right however what happens between Dread leaving Mega City 1 and arriving in Mega City 2 has almost nothing to do with that story. Exactly. And so Cursed Earth is really as much of a story as Luna 1 was in the previous volume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. it is a way of recontextualizing the series and reimagining the series. Yes. More than it is a coherent story. Yeah. Especially because the end of the Cursed Earth is just a flop. Oh, like yeah. Like a, a drastic flop. Uh, yeah. Um, like even by the it's not really a story argument that we just laid out. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's just really boring, to be honest. Well, I mean, let's face it. When you, re you, when you read the first two parts of The Cursed Earth, in which step one, you get, you get to see via Red Story, Mega City 2 taken over by a bunch of, you know, hollering zombies, essentially... And then stage two, in which Judge Dredd, like any good um, harsh taskmaster in a futuristic film, uh, insists on recruiting an ex-convict that he's not sure that he can trust to help him make this drive across because the country. Because he's the only one who can do it because he's the best biker. Yeah. Exactly. You're you're in this situation of like, okay, so there's going to be a couple of stakes that are in place. And by the end of it, it seems reasonable to me that it's like you're going to have Dread and or Spikes make it to Mega City 2 and have to fight off the hordes while trying to cure them. And you also have to deal with is Spike going to turn on dread and betray him or is he going to validate dread's trust in him or is he going to like first do one then do the other and you see some narrative feints at that early on but, but they are genuinely just feints oh exactly and and in a way which makes and sense. Like the, the faintest of faints. Yes, yes, indeed. The faintest. No, it's true. Of like yeah, you know, no. you literally have maybe a panel of dread going. Oh, I shouldn't have trusted Spikes. Mm -hmm. Spikes, of course, he was going to betray me. Yeah, and that's as far as it goes because you know, almost immediately afterwards, Spikes shows up. Yeah, and it's like I'll never betray you, dready. Yeah, exactly. And so you kind of get to that point of like. For me, I'm like, okay, this is a sort of uh, – th this is kind of a, a way to sort of, you know, uh, uh, it's an amuse bouche to the story. It's like, okay, you get that little faint. You're like, okay, they're letting you know that it's coming. 
And yeah, I, I, I know what the story is. This yeah. story is this story will have to feature the following two things before it ends. Exactly. And it ends up featuring neither of those. Which it's is true. it's it's if Chekhov's gone literally <laughs> never went off, but was never mentioned again. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Yeah, so there there's a uh uh, I I feel I feel like before we really dig in more, I should say so. Listeners, uh, people have pointed out like I worry that we're going to get into the cursed earth without necessarily explaining. Graham's mentioned it. I've mentioned it. Just to be clear, Mega City Two, this plague, the two D fruity virus, which turns people into insane cannibals. Uh, read in the course of recounting it, of course, he himself uh just after he's finished telling the story turns into a crazed plague man and has to, you know, only through the cleverest of thinking is dread able to kill him without infecting all of mega city one. The cleverest uh, of thinking is by the way, he hits him with a television. Yes. From, but, but like kind of in a weird around about reaching through the plastic bubble. To, it's absolutely, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So he can't break the plastic bubble that red is in because if he breaks the plastic bubble, red will infect all of mega city one. Yeah. So he starts hitting red through the plastic bubble with a television. Yeah. Which doesn't strike me as the safest way of making sure a plastic <laughs> bubble doesn't break. <laughs> no, but that's cause you don't, you just don't understand the angling. Yeah. No, no, no. Of course it's, it's kind of hilarious. No, it and is. Strange it, it, and, it, it, all, one of the things, you know, I said that one of the things I like about Curse Earth is mm-hmm. it very much captures the energy and pulpiness and luridness of early 2080. Yeah. And, you know, that solution is very much in tune with that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, that solution is very much the literally don't think. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. don't think about this. It's just very exciting to see the Dread is so, like, he's so urgent. He has to just hit him with a television until he's dead. Right. And and in a way, again, there's something that, uh, for me, I'm still aware that this is a six-page story along with a, an introductory, beautiful, doesn't do anything other than look beautiful centerpiece, you know, at the beginning. There's a double-page spread, six pages of story, and the story pretty economically does a great job of, of hauling ass and then upping the stakes at the end, and it's only the... The impossible bullshit resolution is is not great, but it it makes sense. It even works in the way of like, yeah, but he, at least he kept upping the ante up until the very last page when then it became ridiculous. You know, it's like, like you said, it's kind of a perfect example of this stuff. So, um, you know, uh, so in in chapter two, uh, what ends up happening is. Um, Judge Dredd is introduced to the Killdozer slash the pa- toy pack-in promotional thing, it, right? So you know this, right? You had the mentioned kill, this to me. The Killdozer is a toy. Yeah. And it's there's. I don't know if there was a deal or not, but I had the Killdozer toy. It was called the Matchbox Land Raider. Mm-hmm. And it was a toy that wasn't just like close to the killdozer it's the exact design yeah even to the point where like the, it breaks into two right that's never referenced in the comic checking out the wikipedia page for the cursed earth uh someone there mentions which i'm willing to take them at their word that it that 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 toy was in fact one of the early 2000 ad uh giveaway prizes that they were giving uh, yeah, away during that probably. time. Probably. That would, that would make sense. Right? Which would make sense. And and uh, 
so they they get their awesome uh awesome vehicle uh they recruit um the amazing spikes harvey rotten uh it's just spikes harvey rotten is just you know pandering astonishingly when you realize this came out like 78 yes you bring in a character called Spikes Harvey Rotten, who, just like a few episodes from now, will start, like, carrying around, like, have a grenade as an earring. Yes. And talk about how he's dressing like one of, quote, dem 20th century punk rockers. Yeah. It's it's not just on the nose. Like, it basically recreates the nose. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is great, because it also does that... While still giving you that that enjoyable Bob Haney esque sense that Pat Mills is only about forty percent sure that he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Oh yeah, oh great. yeah. He literally he's seen like the was it Bill Grundy interview with the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. Like he's like punks, punk. Okay, punks. Every, the kids like the punks. The kids like the two thousand eighty. What if I have a punk in two thousand eighty? And this is the only thing. Like when you get to. Like the end of the book, there's there's more punks. Oh, that like punk is punks. really interesting to talk about you know? too. Yeah, because um, so this is not the only punk that appears in this book. But Spike's Harvey Rotten is, I mean, just shameless. Yeah, genuinely shameless. Yeah, Sh- shameless and and as accurate as only a dude who's probably listening to a lot of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer could be about punk rock. So. Uh, uh, so the team is assembled along with a lot of elite judges of which judge Jack is the only other dude who really develops any sort of character. And sadly, even his character is just the fact that he's called judge Jack. Um, but the whole crew sets out. And so from chapter three on, it's very much the, Dread and his his team of rough and tumbles um, making their way across the cursed earth. And at that point, it becomes super episodic for, for those who haven't read it. And I heartily encourage you to do so because the cursed earth is kind of um, what's great about it is very much Mills to me. Pat Mills is uh, a dude who in in a weird way is a twisted mirror image of kind of both Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Um, he's kind of got the editorial and promotion abilities that can make you think of, of someone like Lee, but he also has a creative restlessness that is um, born from a love of pastiche and kind of a strong desire to mix, mm, for lack of a better term, I guess, maybe um, historical resonance with pop uh, and pulp um, imagery, I suppose. So that reminds me very much in some ways of Jack Kirby. So there's the Cursed Earth really starts off as being kind of a fabulous tribute to Mills's kind of protean uh shamelessness i suppose you know the the first the first two part story chapter 3 and 4 the devil's lapdogs is about a town where the 
the people are, you know, people who do wrong are essentially tied and sacrificed to the devil's lapdogs, which end up being enormous flying rats that are held aloft by the garbage of the death belt that is all the junk that has been, you know, sort of ended up swirling about in the air in the, the wake of the atomic wars. Um, you know, it goes from there, it goes on to an amazing, the Muti mountains, which involve, uh, dread and his team having a, a very tense set of shootouts along Mount Rushmore. Um, Mount Rushmore, which has now been altered to have a fifth head. Yeah. Yeah, and that's right. That is of the mutant leader. Actually, point out. you you also have. Is, to, is, I was going to say, is there a sixth head in there? There is because is, isn't Carter in there? Yeah, they add Jimmy Carter in a classic. Um, Mills over egging it is literally has someone collide with the smiling teeth of Jimmy Carter, and of course they break out of his mouth. You know, which is just not even how stone statuary works but it's just, yeah it's, it's hilarious yeah it could, because it leaves the, the jimmy carter with no teeth yeah it which is just jimmy carter which again literally that's not how that's not how mount rushmore works that, exactly i mean that's not how it is like they had to go a long way that you'll have something like that turn around and segue into dark autumn which feels like i swear to god Every 70 American 70s TV science fiction TV show that ran for roughly one season in the wake of of the Twilight of Star Trek had an episode exactly like Dark Autumn, wherein a super powered mutant who is all alone out in the middle of nowhere has built a tree from scrap metal. And of course, He's mysterious and lonely, and it turns out he's got mysterious powers, and he ends up being the only one that can end up saving Dread from the Muti army because he brings the dark autumn of telekinesis-powered uh, metal shards coming off of his lonely tree in the atomic wastes to cut down people, one of which is actually like you know, watching everyone else being eviscerated by this stuff going, a dark autumn, oh, my brothers, retreat, retreat. So uh, there's so much good stuff. That's actually followed by Night of the Vampire, which I love for yes. the amount of insanity and stakes raising that Mills well, does. But also, like, Night of the Vampire stands out as, as in these stories, um in the same way that one of the things the cursor does, which is fascinating to me, mm -hmm. is it invents so much backstory. Yes. For the Dread World. Yeah. Like in the first two chapters alone, you get mentions of like the Atomic War, mm -hmm. the the Germ War. Mm -hmm. You know, you you get I it, I could be wrong, but I think the Curse might be the first time you actually it's definitely the first time you see Mega City Two. Maybe the first time you ever hear about Mega City Two. That's right. It's definitely the first time you hear about Vegas still existing. Yes. Um. You know, you get all this backstory to Dread's world and fleshing out of it. And then uh, Night of the Vampire introduces the last president of the United States. Yeah. And gives the backstory to basically how democracy collapsed, mm -hmm. which, it's worth pointing out, is going to be changed significantly later in the Dread world. I would like, think so. Drastically so. Mm -hmm. Because the, the version presented here is essentially... 
the last president was so corrupt that the people chose the judges instead. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to like Dread Origins, that's that. I mean, that's true, but also not true. Like, there's so much more going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like to keep the corrupt president angle, mm-hmm. but I did like the people chose the judges, especially to the flashback you see in in Curse Earth, where like people are like, "Oh no, we hate the president. We want the judges to rule us." Right. That's not the case. Yeah. You know, um, and so it's very funny having read those later stories to then see something like this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Like last episode, we talked about how strange it was to see the citizenship of Mega City One so in favor of the judges to the point where they'd have a parade for them. Yes. And seeing like a flashback where people are like, down with the president, down with democracy. We want the judges to take over. Right. Is just laughable. Well, <laughs> Again, it's it's laughable, but it's also a framework in which uh, Mills comes up with a way in which a the judges work work quote unquote for him, which is which is to say, because at the end of, at the end of the the vampire three parter, they're literally uh, writing off after having resolved the situations, and uh, Spike says so. There were no vampires after all, Judge. Oh, yes, Spikes. The hillbillies were right all along. A man like President Booth who causes the blood of millions to be spilt. He's a vampire who puts even Count Dracula in the shade. And, you know, that is that's very much Mills has come has done a whole bunch of things here. It's amazing how much he wants to participate and be part of Judge dread and contribute to it but it's very much like you said it's in the world building it's in a lot of contextualizing and he does a lot of that contextualizing while avoiding the sort of boots on the ground here's a judge dread story of judge dread being a judge in mega city one it's like we have to go out to the middle of nowhere get hillbillies robot vampires and the last president of the united states entombed in fort knox to be able to get um you know about the through lines or to to the yeah. worldview of dread and mm-hmm. honestly it's sort of in a in a story as sensation kind of way it really works you know, it really is a that's a that's really a, a delightful story to read through for the first time. And when you go back and reread it for me, I was like, oh, it's it's kind of interesting how much it's sort of this continuing building of suspense. And then the last segment is all that suspense is gone on page two. But what you get is the payoff of backstory and world building Mm -hmm. that arguably should not work but does in that sense of if you're willing to believe that it means something you know so um it it It, worked for me but it's fascinating while we're while we're running through the curse earth and we i I don't think we need to go through like every intro no 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 agree because because honestly it is it's you get two episodes of setup you get 20 like 22 episodes of of other stories mm-hmm. and then you get like one episode of wrap-up yeah for, for all intents and purposes yeah but i do want to say that the episodes after 
the the um, vampire storyline, the, the the last president storyline, mm-hmm. it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous because it brings in like the alien slavers and Tweak. Yes, and Tweak is just terrible. <laughs> like Tweak really annoys me as mm-hmm. a character. Mm-hmm. Tweak is essentially a metal eating, cuddly toy. Mm-hmm who is entirely silent until he's not because Mills wants to unveil like the tragic backstory of him mm-hmm. where he's like hyper intelligent and he pretends to be stupid to keep slavers away from his planet. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, I have, I have a lot of problems with aliens in judge dread in general. Mm-hmm. It feels like it breaks the universe to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they are like tweak, it really feels like it breaks the universe to me. Mm, mm-hmm. There's something that is so cartoonish about Tweak, mm-hmm. who gets a lot of play in this story. Oh, like, yeah. Tweak is arguably the third most prominent character in the Cursed Earth. Oh, absolutely. Tweak gets, you know, a two-part origin in addition to his two-part introduction. That's right. He tweaks, A, he's not as interesting as Mills seems to think he is to deserve all that attention. Mm-hmm. But B, there's something so broad about that mm-hmm. and so gimmicky mm-hmm. that even in the Cursed Earth, which is an astonishingly broad science fiction story, right? It feels too much to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I alone in that? Like, do you get that as well? That the tweak just doesn't fit. <sighs> oh, the, the other thing I should say is mm-hmm. tweak is also the character the dread sympathizes with. Right, dread recognizes the noble creature and treats him with respect, which also to me kind of underscores the difference between Mills Dread and Wagner's Dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that, that I, I, so I think that there, there's a bunch of things going on. And one is one of the lessons that, that I learned in reading case volumes two, and I'll try and, hold off the majority of it till we get to it is after reading the day the law died, my, what I thought of as what there could be in judge dread as quote unquote too much really changed drastically. I was really like, there is, I had some of the stuff that I had heard about the judge Cal story. I was like, yeah, that just sounds like too much, you know? And then I read it and I'm like, this is fucking amazing. So there's, I think there is a little bit, like you said, there's the broadness of, of it that I think rubs you the wrong way. And there's also, it's, I mean, there's the sentimentality. It's sentimental yes. in a way that, it, that feels very, very out of place. I mean, it's, and... I think that's I can see why that is super problematic. I agree. Tweak is not necessarily what I'm I'm going to say is like my favorite character and I would have absolutely loathed it if I had been growing up and reading this as as a kid or even up through my 20s or something. What I find interesting is to me and I'm not saying that it is in any way excusable, but um Tweak plays a uh, kind of interesting role in the Cursed Earth in that to the extent that Mills is riding an American road trip 
and is writing about the are about the ideas of America tweak at least is quote unquote valuable because he is the space in the narrative where slavery is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Sure. No. And I, I know what you're like, going like, to say. I, I, yeah. I like, right. I totally see where you're coming from because it is literally a slave's tale. Like yes. mm-hmm. when you get the origin story, it is, it's not even disguised. Yes. You know, like, Tweak's family is kidnapped by slavers. Yes. Tweak has to pretend to be stupid in order to save the rest of his race yep. from from being taken by slavers. It's not like there's no subtlety there. Yeah. But Tweak as a character cannot support that weight. Well, cannot su- no, of the, course not. Of that, course not. That metaphor. Yeah. Tweak cuz cuz in order to do that, Tweak then becomes infinitely more offensive. Mhm. You know, Tweak when before he reveals that he can speak, he speaks in variations of the word tweak. Mm-hmm. So he goes twonk, twack, mm-hmm. and he does like it's yeah it's it's. I see what you're saying, but also you know if I think about him in that space too long, mm-hmm. he then becomes even more. <laughs> yes, upset. no, and I I totally get. I mean, but there and and I'm not. I'm not saying that that is. I just I all I'm like it's, it's not ex, it's not yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's not, not forgivable it's an excuse yeah but but it is to me interesting in the in the fact that it's that it at least there's some element that's in there and there is kind of a way in which the uh, the the, the way that Vord in his comment to us points out the way that the role that the muties and the freaks sort of fill the role of the native Americans in the Western tweaks sort of extension of that as America's role is as a slaver as slavery and, and also the weird ways that we, that, we go on to deal with um, African-Americans in American narratives, which do involve making them cutesy, making them seem foolish, making them seem childlike, giving them magical powers, you know, all the stuff that we end that ends up happening with tweak. I don't necessarily, how do I put it? It's sort of, um, I understand why it's there and it's arguably the best solution apart from excising all of that altogether from the standpoint of the type of comic that they were trying to do and tell, you know? So I don't, I, I, I believe me, I totally see your point. Um, in in that sense, Tweak is very much sort of a forerunner of everyone's beloved Jar Jar Binks, right down to the the crazy anteater style tongue. Yeah, and, I was gonna say, like right down to the visual, weirdly enough. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I think that there there's <laughs> to put it mildly, there's a lot that's problem problematic there, but I at least appreciate the way in which the cursed earth would not feel like a satire, a genuine satire 
slash look at America without there being some element. And so I appreciate mm -hmm. in a way that that's in there, even if I don't actually appreciate it. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I, you know, I said this in a let's not go through every story from the cursed earth. Yes. It strikes that like the Nets two stories, which are not in the case files. That's right. Are the, are the McDonald's or the Burger King versus McDonald's stories. Yes. That, that, you know, were then never reprinted until 2016 yep. because of legal action. That's right. Yes, that that is absolutely right. Battle of the Burger Barons and Burger Law. It's a two-parter written by Wagner, uh, and I I love I very much love them. They very much play with the concept of the Western. Uh, again, you know, dread. It, it, you know, it's it's basically a fistful of dollars. The difference being one town is run by McDonald's and the other part of the town is run by Burger King and they're more or less like in the process of forcing everyone to choose sides and everyone's miserable and uh, un unlike Fistful of Dollars, Dread and Spikes don't do anything particularly clever. They just more or less bounce around like ping pong balls until they get rescued and then are kind of like, fuck this, leave them to it. In the same way that as we will go on to talk about uh, Judge Cal as um, being a, a little too on the nose. I love Burger Barons and Burger Law because of because of things like don't worry, folks. Everything in McDonald's is disposable, including the staff. And <laughs> I the the idea in which the, the Dread even talks about like. After the war, with the government gone, there was nothing to stop the big burger chain's lust for complete control. They grew more and more powerful until their hamburger war turned violent. And again, I just I it's so sad how how much I'm like, ah, there was there was a time when the government controlled businesses like, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of like, yeah, yeah. wow, we're we're so far down our own level of the cursed earth. For people who are wondering, um, the other story that was excised from the Cursed Earth. Uh, soul Food. Uh, that's, yeah, Soul Food and Giants Aren't Gentlemen, which is a great name. And uh, is more or less an island of Dr. Moreau riff, illustrated beautifully by um, Brian Boland, in which a bunch of commercial mascots are being churned out by sort of an evil scientist and dread at first is terrorized by them and ultimately helps them turn to rebel. Weirdly enough, the the Matt Dr. Moreau style mad scientist is a spitting image of Colonel Sanders from Kentucky fried chicken, which I think sort of um, uh, muddies the waters a bit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for those who are curious, I myself had purchased the Cursed Earth um, Uncensored or whatever they call the collection that came out in 2016. That, that, that is what it's called. And uh, that's actually where I read the first half of this book. It's pretty great in the sense of it restores the color to the opening dual page spreads. Everything else is in black and white, but all of the spreads are in color as they appeared uh, in the 2000 AD and 
holy shit, part two of Burger Wars, Burger Law, where Dread and Spikes are led into McDonald Land uh, or McDonald Town is a fucking thing of beauty. Uh, Mike McMahon is is really, we'll have to, at some point we'll start talking about the artist because there's such a huge influence on this book. And, and one of the things that's really notable about particularly the cursed earth is it's really three artists i think who end up drawing the whole thing right isn't that right it's yes, Mc... it's mcmahon boland and is that it I, there's i remember someone saying that there was one other artist and i can't remember who it's not I'm literally scrolling through right now i think it might just be mcmahon and boland yeah it might be with some some assists from wherever the hell they can get it so it's it's an it's an amazing achievement in that sense but um mcmahon to to my eyes powers up during the course of it like there's some stuff that he does that's great and that's striking but oh my god that scene of of them in mcdonald town which runs the gamut from you know, some little girl happily dancing with a big McDonald's M on her smock and like rags on her feet to the the red eyed guard walking with a gun on his hand, glowering at the crowd, like just so much amazing drawing and, and character drawing, which I think McMahon is really just fabulous in, I think, throughout all this. Uh those those make it a, a pretty good read if you get a chance to pick them up on sale. I mean the kit the kit Judge Dread case files, because because those stories are modular, you don't really notice their absence in, you know, and also it's modular and the cursed earth ultimately ends up being not a story. Ultimately, uh, there's there's you don't miss their you don't know that they're not there. Um, yeah, there, there's no idea that you're missing chapters in yeah. the case files at all. Yeah. Apart from the fact that they're numbered. Exactly. And you're like, how did we go from like episode 10 to episode 13? Yeah. But like, if you're not paying attention to that, you you literally don't miss them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is a shame because I really think that the, the Burger King McDonald's one is arguably the best of the the mini stories yes yeah, yeah well i mean it it depends on what you mean by the best in terms of taking the concept of you know what it felt like the cursed earth was supposed to be which is kind of a satirical tour de force through a nightmarish america it does it and it also takes a lot of the western tropes and plays with them there's if we if we it, had, it feels was complete to be yeah. honest I think so, too. Actually, weirdly enough, yeah, I would say that's the case. Whereas I think that Mills has a couple of of real strong high points here. But in in a again, in that way that it feels like you are getting sensations. You know what I mean? Like arguably his backdoor pilot for Satanus seems like the thing that he's the most um emotionally invested in well but let's talk about that really quickly mm -hmm. because backdoor pilot for satanus is literally jurassic park yes literally jurassic park that's right someone discovers dinosaur dna decides to clone dinosaurs and then makes a theme park out of it but the dinosaurs start eating people yeah yeah which is it is 100 jurassic park 12 years before michael Crichton publishes jurassic park yes and Sure, Jurassic Park is literally just Crichton's Westworld. 
mm-hmm. Boba Fettors. Right. I get that. But it's weird to me yeah. that Mills literally writes Jurassic Park 12 years earlier. Yep. And basically, people don't give him credit for it. Well, to, to an extent... Like, um, he himself doesn't give himself credit for it uh, because – hold on. I've got to find this. He talks He talks actually about this um, in his book. And let's see if I can find it. Jurassic. Uh, he literally says um, they've speculated that the writer of Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton, may have gotten the idea from my story. It's possible, but I doubt it. I actually got the idea from a story in the year's best science fiction number eight, edited by Harry Harrison and Brian Aldiss, published in 1976, entitled Paleontology, an Experimental Science. It's written by Robert R. Olson. It relates in some detail how DNA science is used to bring a T-Rex back to life, which is then kept in San Diego Zoo. Inevitably, it escapes with predictable consequences. It's a very funny story which I thoroughly recommend. So, um, you know, whatever I, else... I, I, think he's, I think he's being very generous, to be honest. Because, <laughs> like, there's so much of the Jurassic Park DNA in particular. Oh, I agree. I mean, he's... That, I, that is, is present. No, I, I agree. He, it's one thing to say, like, oh, there's a T-Rex in a zoo. It's one thing to have the panel where basically the scientists are like, we're broke, how can we continue research oh, we'll open this up as an enormous amusement park and let everyone come through and see the dinosaurs. Like, mm-hmm. and and then, yeah, no, I agree with you. It is, I, I, I'm a big fan of the idea that, that, that Mills wrote something that was, was pretty influential. I'm just fascinated the, to the extent to which he continues to be like, no, nah, probably not. You know, which is, Considering the amount of time where Mills is kind of, if you read his book, is kind of shimmying himself more and more into a background where you're like, yeah, sure, he was, I'm sure he was there. But was he really, you know, holding the pen that he then handed to Jen, John Wagner? You know, yeah, like exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, so. it's funny that, you know, that's the one thing that he backs away from. And it's the one thing that arguably he has the strongest claim for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in that weird way, sort of like, eh, if you're if, like, I, I'll take, sure, I'll take his word for it. It's exactly. not grabbing. Exactly. I guess he didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. He convinced me. So I just want to mention that for people who are wondering, Dread slowly makes his way across from east to west because Mega City 1 is more or less the east coast and Mega City 2 is the west coast. So they go through Vegas. They go through Death Valley. Uh, Vegas is also another um, two-parter or three-parter. I think it's just two-parter. I think it's just two, yeah. Yeah, that is... But, that... but it's like Vegas Vegas makes no sense. Oh, like, yeah. Like, if you see, you see a map midway through this, the cursors yes. where it's like, here's America, and it's literally... Mega City One, yeah. Go West, Cursed Earth, Mega City Two, nothing in between. Yeah, and they're like, and then we came across Vegas, which is still Vegas, <laughs> and is a city. Yeah, and has its own judges. And right. you're like, no one thought to mention this before. Yeah, but then again, you know, later in in like Dread mythology, they'll introduce like Texas City. Right. 
you know, as its own like third mega city. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's in a way it's sort of there, there's a bit in which it's growing pains. It's also important to point out that um, that the Vegas story is written by Wagner and in many ways feels a little bit like a dry run for what he's going to get going with Judge Cal. Um, yeah. Almost immediately afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, but ultimately, uh, everyone heard about what I, where I thought Chekhov's gun was going to go off. I'm entirely wrong. What ends up happening is uh, the few remaining uh, stragglers of Dread's party, which include Tweak, Spikes, Dread, and a a shell shocked Judge Jack, end up encountering the Legion of the Damned, uh, a a bunch of war droids um commanded by general blood and nuts which is just basically ah uh, yes indeed which is a, a tank uh that looks like you know um general Patton. it's a, it's a head yeah it's a, it's, it's, it's a general Patton heads on a, on wheels basically yeah basically and which is a great visual again yeah. like mm -hmm. you know as you're saying before there mcmahon comes up with some amazing visuals in this yeah and, and when you see general button nuts for the first time it's a great visual yeah completely completely it's just it's you know but there's almost nothing in part because I don't remember if it was the Cursed Earth was being cut short. I think it's mentioned in, in Through Power Overload that it. I, I feel like that might have been an, a narrative going on. There's certainly... It can't have been cut short. It lasts half a year. Yeah, but I mean, okay, I could be wrong. Like I said, they make it sound like it was cut short. I don't know if that's, like I said, I feel like I read that somewhere. Could be wrong. I definitely know that uh, the editors got called onto the carpet by the heads of IPC, whoever was in charge of the magazine group, because they had felt that the whole sequence in Vegas, including a bunch of people betting about people jumping off buildings and where they're going to hit was a little too, um, was a little too dark for what they mm -hmm. thought a kid's magazine was going to do. Well, also don't forget at this time, um, IPC is also facing legal action over the burger, the burger. That's King right. McDonald's story and the soul food story, which is the reason that neither of them appeared in reprints for years. That's right. So, you know, the cursed earth is really turning into a problem. Yes. For 2008. Absolutely. Point. In fact, one of the best things going is the half page quote unquote retraction in which yes. the jolly, the actual jolly green giant shows up, to help out Dread and Spikes by giving them lots of tasty canned veg and and them saying, We're wow, you're nothing like that evil big guy that we bumped into earlier. And and uh the Jolly Green Giant being like, That's right, boys. And if you ever hear anyone impugning my nature, my good name, I hope you'll let them know what a stand-up guy I am. And they're like, sure thing. It's phenomenal i've never seen an incontinuity retraction like that that is it's <laughs> just great so yeah it's a it's a huge pain in the ass for everyone and who knows what the hell is happening with mills of course like everything was by all all uh accounts at least in throw power overload it sounded like the cursed earth ended up being as the final chapter is called a death crawl for the 
the production teams and the staff and Mills himself, which all of which is to say maybe that's why the story ends with such a little fart because it's two parts. Because it really does. It really does. It's at Tweak, who after we sort of, after he learns to speak and we get his whole origin again, he mentions the fact that he can see the future and he knows that Spike, uh, is, Spikes is going to die in Death Valley uh, fighting the Legion of the Damned and so ends up agreeing to sell half the rights to his planet to Spikes. Spikes, of course, then is like, I'm the luckiest punk in the world. I'm not just a nobody punk. I'm the best punk. And then, of course, dies one of those brutal, you know, war. It's it's fascinating. I feel like maybe there is something to be said for the fact that Mills, who in his uh, in his book and elsewhere, very much talks about the fact that he is more comfortable writing girls comics and thinks of himself as a girls comics writer and being more interested in emotions and things. The cursed earth is a lot of Western. And then when it gets down to it, it basically is like something out of battle, you know, where, you know, Mills also put in a lot of duty. There's, there's no, this isn't, this doesn't resemble Misty. This is straight out of War Comics 101. It yeah, just happens yeah. to have robots in it. And it happens so that everyone can more or less get wiped out except for Dread, except for Tweak. And Dread has to cover the last dozen miles or so walking slash crawling, half hallucinating. And um, half screaming, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Yeah, basically. All it, it, I mean, it's very similar to the end of the Return of Rico. Yeah. You know, Dread is bloodied but unbowed. Yeah. And will keep going on because, again, he's so noble. Yeah. Which, for me, does not work as a Dread thing. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Just just does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if Spike's going out in a blaze of glory and never earning his redemption is is one of the Chekhov's guns not going off. Mm-hmm. The other is that Dread walks into Mega City 2, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, thank God, he's got the antidote, and they're normal. Yeah. And then everyone is cured off-panel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally nothing as big as just him walking into the fort and collapsing in, you know, true John Ford Western style. Then the next thing you know, he's getting healed up in surgery, and then in a super quick epilogue, he's there to shoot twerk into space. Twerk. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, Jeff. Twerk. Yeah. Why not? Um, no, but it, it's but it's true. You like it's it's the final episode is ridiculously rushed. Yeah. Completely. Like it pretty much is a, and then everything was fine. The yep. end. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, and there's a little bit of, and Dread was the toughest SOB, and he just had to tough it out. And it's it's a it's a it's a very very disappointing pivot that just suggests that everyone, like I said, everyone was just exhausted and it had to get wrapped up, you know. But maybe not. Maybe that was ultimately by the time that Mills got to the end, he either. Um, you know, neither remembered nor cared what he set up or what he set up Honestly, was just gestural. I, I, I think, A, what he said it was just gestural, and B, I think editorial 
mm-hmm. wanted something different because you literally go from from Mills running the strip for half a year, yeah, to Mills being gone from Dread, yeah, and and what follows is Wagner taking control of the strip pretty much permanently from then on, mm-hmm. and. For all intents and purposes, I think the Judge Cal storyline is a reboot for Dread. Mm-hmm. It is very firmly Wagner saying, this is what Judge Dread is. This is what his world is. This is how it works. This is the rules of the game from now on. Not only the, the Judge Cal like, plotline, but additionally, the two-parter afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Exomain story, which is like I think I think there's a, a, a one-parter and then there's a two-parter. Yeah. The two-parter feels... Very, very, very much like that run of, you know, let's call it 26 issues mm-hmm. are, are Wagner very firmly saying, this is what a Judge Dredd story is now. Right. This is it. This is what Mega City 1 is. We're back in Mega City 1. This is what Mega City 1 is. This is how Judge Dredd works. Yeah. The, these are his supporting characters. Yeah. This, these are the rules of the world. Yeah. And do, so I do wonder if the recursor ends in such a dull, flat, disappointing way is because basically they want to get it over with in order to get to Wagner. Well, or it could be, or I think even more to the point, again, like I said, volume two is of Case Files feels like part one is Mills being like, no, this is Judge Dredd. And part two is Wagner being like, no, this is Judge Dredd. And yeah. the, the fact is Wagner's conception of Dredd is is malleable enough that he can turn around and do pretty decent cursed earth stories, but uh, he comes back and everything that he is trying to do in the same way that dread that, that Mills, I honestly think starts out, he's like, I'm going to make uh dread work as a character. And maybe by the end of it, he either the, the two ways to look at it is either he's like, okay, case closed or it's possible it was just like it doesn't matter like he gets to the end of it he's like there's no stakes there's no i've gone through all of these modular parts and the way that i've done it like you don't like spikes is little more than an air conditioner you know and the only thing i care about is my magical negro anteater you know, and yeah. I think that that is, is in a way kind of, a, a, you know, the cursed earth may ultimately be a, an admission of defeat. It's it's it, which is ironic because it's a you know, it's a classic. It ends up being a dread classic. Exactly. It's, it's one of the stories that, you know, when people are like, what are the 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 iconic dread stories? Yes. Like the cursed earth is one that people pull out. I'm sure. Interestingly enough, have, having reread it. A mm-hmm. bunch of times this week, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it deserves to be. Because like you say, it's not actually a story. Yeah, but... but Like, it's it's a very interesting period of time, right? It's it's there, it's a, it's a, uh, an entertaining run of 25 issues. Right. But I'm not sure it's a story. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But... It's like saying Luna 1 mm-hmm. is a great story. Right. Yeah, I, it's. I, uh, where again, is? But no, maybe, I, maybe, I, I again. Maybe Mills. My dislike for Mills mm-hmm. and my feeling that there's so much that's like too broad about this, like is is pulling me away. And if it was if it was more quote unquote the dread I liked, mm-hmm. I I would feel differently. But yeah, 
No, I, I, I very much get it. I get that it's very, it's, uh, uh, I, I do get that. And of course I'm very lucky in that, you know, my reading of dread is so comparatively meager. Um, but the other thing that's also interesting for me is, is like you said, cursed earth, isn't a story. I adore the, day the law died this whole the mega epic that follows that is very much wagner in some ways i'm not sure it's a story either you know like there's a lot of uh i don't know how to describe it like there's a lot of event um it's just that wagner is Wagner's a lot better at it. Wagner is a lot better at being able to skate around the idea of like what should or shouldn't be, shouldn't work. Wagner is able to make work because he has a very firm sense of stakes. Ultimately Mills is one of those dudes who is in some ways very conflicted about what he does or uh, in the way of he it's very difficult for him to reconcile the idea that he sees himself as a um a, an a, a hedonistic anarchist who is working mm -hmm. in a traditionally conservative genre and in the case of judge dread a very conservative archetype of a conservative yeah, genre yeah. and wagner is very much more comfortable with who he is like informed by ford 99's comments um i think at reading the day the law died one of the things that really works is Wagner is a lot like, I don't know, this just springs to mind and may not hold water. Someone like Cormac McCarthy, who is someone when you read them is very much aware that there is that civilization is not easily won. And it is something that should not be lost. Um, and one of the things that is amazing about the way that the day the law died works is the judge dread. And it's very much how Wagner figures out the way he solves judge dread is essentially by making sure that the people that that dread runs up against are significantly worse than dread. You know, whatever dread is as a hero slash villain, like it's important to Wagner that you not duck the fascistic ramifications and the negative image in dread. But with Judge Cal, and I don't know how much how much more Wagner is able to do this as time goes on, he basically gives you know, puts dread up against the face of chaos itself. And, and at that point, you know, dread begins looking pretty good, you know? And one of the things that I think is fascinating is I think maybe there's a case to be made that someone who, who really could do a deep dive or understand structure can look at the way in which Wagner 
structures the day the law died as a story in which there is story and then it deviates into story. Like it has its almost manic digressions that are little bits of brilliance that, that, that he thinks of. Whereas that's all kind of all that Mills kind of has. Mills is kind of like, if you watch me shuffle the deck, it's inherently entertaining. And I think sure there is no Mills avoids the central narrative of the cursed earth. He introduces it as a gimmick and then he moves past it. And whereas the day the earth died is once you pass the prologue, there is a, a, a momentum that actually has to be followed through. Mm-hmm. You know, he introduces a threat which literally has to be dealt with in order for the story to continue. Yeah. And, and yes, it does deviate on that route, mm-hmm. but it stays much more focused. You oh, know, it, it feels like a story. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even when he has cliffhangers, or, or uh, basically he writes Dread out of the cliffhangers, mm-hmm. you know, what Dread is doing is still connected to Dread's mission, quote unquote. Yes. In a way that the Curse Earth isn't. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I Okay, I do want to move on to the Cal thing. Before I do so, I want to say this, which is you haven't really read much Dread beyond this until like recent Dread, right? Uh, yeah, I read I read uh, all of all of Case File 5. I thought I had read so is that, is more that of that stuff. Is that Judge yes. Child in Case File 5? I, no, I don't. It is not. It is. Or, okay, because Judge yeah. Child is in that case Case Files 4, I think. Yeah. And Judge Child is Wagner doing the Cursed Earth. Right. Right. It is the narrative structure of the Cursed Earth, which is to say there's a MacGuffin mm-hmm. and, and there are lots of, of vignettes that are honestly disconnected to the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting and it'll be really interesting what you think when we get there to see how basically Wagner makes it feel more coherent than the Cursed Earth feels. Mm-hmm. And yet it lacks the manic peaks of the Cursed Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious what you're going to think about the Judge Child when we get there, but it is Wagner's Cursed Earth. Wow. Very, to the point where you, it almost feels as if Wagner's like, that didn't work, but I think I can make it work. And right. so I'm essentially going to construct the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is there's a very particular payoff, but that is that is for two episodes hence. Right, right. Well, I, I, I look forward to it. Jeff. Yes, Graham. Am I correct in assuming, therefore, that you thought that the Judge Cal storyline was better than the Cursed Earth? Yes, I would have to say. I mean, it's tough because I, I feel like it's something that I will need to return to to double check. But yeah, I thought uh, when I finished the Cursed Earth, and one of the things that I also have to say about the Cursed Earth is the idea that it took me longer to get through it. And I wonder if that is because there was sort of a sufficient lack of narrative tension, that there was I, always I, I some point I blopped out at you know yes i think it's very easy to drop out the cursed earth yeah. in a way that you know as you said as you said i said um when i was rereading case files volume two for this episode and i like i said i reread like three times in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks i could relatively quickly like go through the cursed earth and make notes and everything and i would just fall into the cal storyline mm-hmm. like i just start reading it yeah yeah. You know, it, it, it just it's very easy to do that because mm-hmm. it is it's not just that it's a compelling story, although it's a compelling story. Yeah, it's that there's something about it that is very, very you have to pay attention. 
Yeah. It's easy, it's easy to drop in and out of the Cursed Earth. Mm-hmm. But it's not easy to drop in and out of Cal. Yeah. Because so much is going on. Because so much is, is, is important. So much is happening. And it does just keep building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's the part that I love. Um, I really want you to talk about it and more, but uh, and sort of lead the discussion because I feel like I blab so much for Cursed Earth. Would you agree with me that the first three parts, which are in a way the prologue to mm-hmm. The Day the Law Died, is kind of a fabulous fake out? on Wagner's part in a variety of levels because Oh, definitely because it's it's essentially a it's simultaneously a prog and a dry run and also it is it's a fake out because mm-hmm. it makes you think that Cal has has a plan and that Dread has foiled his plan. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the very next episodes Cal who is a, a judge and he's in charge of the the essentially the, the the judges that watch after the judges the judges that oversee the other judges and is corrupt and more than corrupt is genuinely insane as, yes. as the day the dies makes you know it over over the top clear mm-hmm. um but the, the three part before that is essentially he frames dread for murder yeah with again you know there, there are many things that sort of break the logic of these stories. He has a Judge Dredd robot that everyone actually believes is Judge Dredd. <laughs> Which, you know, there's so much about that that breaks the, again, breaks the reality of Dredd. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But somehow it doesn't matter or it doesn't, like, slow the reader down in the same way that some of the things the Cursed Earth do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, uh, Cal frames Dredd for the murder of two journalists. Dredd is arrested and sent on a shuttle to Titan and then breaks free on the shuttle, takes the shuttle back to Mega City 1 and fights his robot double and is is exonerated. Right. And it ends with Dredd more or less saying, like, you know, someone within in the judge system is corrupt. I wonder who it is. And it's a close-up of Cal going, Whoa. <laughs> um, but you're right it does feel like a fake out it does yeah. feel like you know well i wonder when we're going to see cal again and then the answer is the very next episode well cal uh, is going to you know take over cal yes. is going to have a successful coup of the justice department yeah yeah uh the the two things that i was thinking in particular that i want to point out is you have dread he's back in mega city one and literally framed for murder and the end of that very first prog is him on a spaceship be- going off to titan and i was like oh so they're just going to throw him on titan now and i really did think like oh okay i guess there's going to be like a whole long sequence of like dread getting to titan breaking off titan or or even just sort of him like i really thought that's where it was going to go so the first fake out for me was like it's almost like Wagner's like, okay, here's how we get Judge Dredd out of Mega City 1 this time, except then you literally have Dredd break free, pilot the shuttle, crash it into the spaceport, and basically run off and escape. And then in the third part, which feels, you know, again, in that weird, I always get some sort of Silver Age DC vibe off of some of Wagner's stories. The first one has the blank is an outlaw and then part three is i must fight myself kind yeah, of right? thing yeah and, and honestly the idea of a robot duplicate that is so perfect that even dread is is almost fooled you yes. know or for that matter dread not dread when he's accused of this crime being like i don't remember doing it but it looks real <laughs> yes exactly. you know, like that's very silver hdc yeah. as well it's, yep. you know it, it, it is very again 
don't think too much or you're going to break the story. Yeah. Yep. Something else I want to draw out of this very quickly is is I love that Dread, for no reason whatsoever, in this three-parter, calls people jackass a lot. Yes. Yeah. Which is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Live myself jackass. And you're like, <laughs> what? What is this? And it reintroduces Giant yes. as, a, as a, a major player. And he becomes a very major player in the day that Law died. Yes. And... Giant, the 1978-79 version of Judge Giant, yes, is very much of his time in the very worst ways possible. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about, you know, the inherent racism mm -hmm. of Wagner's writing last time, mm -hmm. and Wagner, his Giant is, it's the 23rd century or 22nd century rather, um, and it is. You know, the Giant has been gone through the Academy of Law, and he basically talks jive. Yes, no, the it's, entire story, yeah. and it's it's appalling. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much like between the first time that that Judge Giant appeared and now, like someone handed Wagner a bunch of Luke Cage comic books and was like, "This this is really how black people talk now. You should really." Pay attention. Yeah, you should, you, you should. Yeah, you should get with me. And but not only that, he was like, and that's how black people are going to talk a hundred years from now. Yes, and it's, no, it's like, mm, oh no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. no, yeah. The first three parts feel like a dread story, sort of the way that we've used to seeing, and a very sort of traditional comic book approach um, to things. You know, Silver Age tropes, dread tropes, a little bit of like. Who and why was this traitor? And then the day the law died, the sort of the quote unquote first part is a six page story in which Judge Clarence Goodman, the the upstanding judge um, that we see in the previous three parts, gets stabbed to death on the first page, Julius Caesar style. Yes. To, to, to suddenly go, oh, by the way, this is all like Roman tragedy now. Yes. I mean, it's a stunning from the first page. You literally have people falling on him with knives. You've got Dread figuring out like the score because, of course, the dying Judge Goodman passes uh, a, an a SJS button he's, on it. He's the chief judge. Yes. Sorry, the chief judge. judge. Yeah. He's the chief judge, which is the whole thing. Right. He, the chief judge is murdered, and therefore Cal, as the head of the SJS, which is a special judiciary system, yeah. takes control of, of the Justice Department. That's that's, right. that's the gimmick of the, yes. the story. Yes. Judge uh, Dredd has had pressed into his hand an SJS button, and he realizes that it's been ripped off in the struggle. It is uh, Cal's men has killed the judge, uh, has killed Judge Goodman. You see Dredd run out to try and, you know, I've got to deal with that madman before he does any more harm. And literally gets shot through the head on panel on like page fucking four. He is and shot he is apparently and killed. dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the page ends, his body twitches momentarily and lies still. And you have literally just seen him be shot through the head. Yep. Because yeah. the, the, the bullet passes through his head. You see it happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see it. You see it go through his head. It's a full page splash. So you think you think that Wagner is not fucking around and he's not. 
Dredd, of course, ends up being, you know, thrown into an ambulance and, you know, Walter the Wobot is is sobbing over him. But you cut back to Judge Cal, and this is, to me, still astonishing. Like, talks to Judge Quincy, who is the judge who has just shot Judge Dredd, notices that there's a button missing on his uniform, which means that Quincy is actually prob- more than likely the it's, dude. It's the murderer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one, one of the murderers the, of, of the exactly. chief judge, yeah. It's his button that the chief judge has pulled off him. And Judge Cal is like, my judges will dress like judges or not at all. Take off your clothes. Makes him strip down to his underwear, boots, and helmet and says, from now on, you will carry out your duties dressed like that. So he's just, the one thing that I love about that is Judge Cal, utterly mad. B, it's insane that on page four you have your hero be shot through the head, like on panel, and then... On... And he doesn't appear for the rest of the episode. Yes, exactly. And on page six, his murderer is turned into like a visual gag. And Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that Wagner basically the Judge Cal stuff really gives is where I feel to me. I just my respect for Wagner just leveled up tremendously. It's it's astonishing, especially in the earlier episodes. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in the in the the day the law died storyline. Yeah. But like that first episode is so bold, but also so successful with such economy. Yes. Wagner really, really, really is not fucking around. Yeah. On page one, the inciting incident happens. Mm -hmm. On page four, he essentially kills off the main character Mm -hmm. and then doesn't do anything to go, he'll be fine. Yeah. And then on page six, the guy who did both of those things is then humiliated by the true villain of the story. That's right. And the true villain of the story is evil, don't get me wrong. Yes. But it's also clearly insane and wagner manages to play that as both terrifying and funny yes throughout the entire story yeah which is is i mean it's it's stunningly good writing yes and the thing is all of the story is like that yeah no the the thing that impresses me is uh, and uh, you know um for people who want backstories such as it is uh I, Claudius, was on uh, British TV back in 76, was a tremendous hit. Um, I've not seen it acknowledged anywhere, but I'm convinced that the um, long-in-production movie picture adaptation of Caligula, which did not debut until 1970, end of 79, early 1980, uh might have also been there was a there was a I mean, certain he's, he's literally Judge Cal. Yeah, Judge Cal. He is Judge Caligula. He's referred to that in the in the coming up next blurb at the end of the Cursed Earth. What's amazing is how to me is how much Wagner takes that idea and runs with it. He really understands by having an an absolutely insane character um that that is that is sort of insane not in the way that you know the, the way we understand mental health issues now but very much in the classical concept of the the Roman emperor Caligula someone who makes decisions based on a mixture of sadism cruelty 
vanity and insanity is uh, he is the perfect foil in that sense for Judge Dredd because Dredd is is no indulgences whatsoever. And mm-hmm. Cal, of course, is Dredd is, is all about self-control. Yeah. And, and is all about self-discipline and self-discipline as metaphor for uh, a larger sense of discipline. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Cal is literally the opposite, one hundred percent the opposite. Yeah. But what is also just wonderful about Cal as a villain mm-hmm. is that through Cal's insanity and through Cal's indulgences, mm-hmm. you, it's it's it gets to illustrate what Mega City One is. It gets to yeah. illustrate what the justice system is, what the judges are. Yeah. Because you see how they respond to this. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, we we lauded Pat Mills's world building in the Cursed Earth. Wagner does a shit ton of world building here, but it's not the mythology or the backstory of Dread at all. It's how does Mega City One work? Mm-hmm. How do the citizens act towards this? Mm-hmm. Like, how do the citizens deal with a tyrant in control? Yeah. How do the judges deal with the tyrant in control? Why aren't the judges fighting back? Why are the judges complicit in this? And in doing that, he basically says. This is how judges are taught. This is how judges start their day. Yeah. You know, like the the, the gimmick, spoilers, question, question mark, mm-hmm. is that Cal has essentially brainwashed all the judges. Yes. Because at the start of each day, they get basically the day's information, the day's news fed directly into their brains. Mm-hmm. And and Cal has, has, has corrupted that. And in doing so, made them susceptible to to his control, to his commands, specifically to his voice. Yes, as, as at the end of the story. Right. But but even that is t- telling you how the judges work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. showing you what dread and also the the teachers from the academy of law and to a lesser extent giant are willing to do to stand up to him. Mm-hmm. Shows you what it is to be taught to be a judge. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's all this this wonderful work laid in of of essentially exposition, mm-hmm. but you don't. It doesn't feel like exposition. No, it feels like Wagner's pushing the story forward at all points. Yeah, you know, it's it's really great. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I absolutely agree. It's 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 all handled so incredibly well. And one of the things that's actually terrific is, is that, that, you know, if you're reading carefully and paying attention, the question of why are the judges serving judge Cal comes far later in the narrative than it would in a, in what, in, in what an American superhero comic version would be yeah. throwing in at like, you know, the second issue. Like it's not until two thirds of the way through that you know there's a point where like Judge Dread, who you know uh, has survived and is rescued by Judge Giant, and they team up with the unaffected members of the instructors of the Judges Academy, basically become the resistance there's a lot of them saying like, okay, you know, don't, you know, we fight today. We fight other judges. I don't know what kind of hold Cal has over them, but they were good men once and they'll be good men again. 
shoot to wound, but if you have to kill, don't hesitate. The future of Mega City 1 depends on you. Uh, so that whole, like, I don't know what his hold is, is something that comes, even that's like a third of the way through the storyline, not, you know, and it's not until it gets answered. So there's a lot that, that Wagner's willing to let dangle. And one of the great things about that is, at least I didn't really question why the judges were following Kyle. Yes, right. You know, it's almost like, well, of course the judges will follow Kyle. He's the chief judge now. Exactly. And they are that devoted yep. to order. Yep, 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 yep. And this is this is kind of the way that Wagner is able to kind of have his cake and eat it too, in a way that Mills just really can't is Wagner's okay with letting that sit out there of dread of the system that dread is part of that. It is so close to, to fascistic that, that it doesn't even ask, it doesn't rush to answer that question. There's, it doesn't rush to reassure you. There's, there's a lot in the, the way that, Wagner essentially points out that the dread is quote unquote, or even the judge system is quote unquote good is by giving us someone who is, who is very clearly worse, you know, and that's, well, but what's, what's also wonderful is, you know, very early on it, it, dread is, is healed after being essentially killed, Dredd is healed yeah. in the next episode, and there is such a gimme. Like, we we put him through the speed healer, and he's fine. Right. Which I understand, I, I get, is really a cheat. Like, it mm -hmm. literally is. We put him in speed. Like, he, we shot him through head, but we speed healed him, so he's fine. Right. But the, uh, in that next episode, you see quite how insane Cal is, even more than you have before. Oh, yeah. Because he, he names his, his deputy chief judge, who is a goldfish. That is so and good. And calls him Judge Fish. Yeah. But Dredd is present for that. And Dredd thinks, a goldfish, now I know Cal is mad, but why don't the other judges turn on him? Have they, have they all lost their courage? And there's that wonderful mm. moment as well, where you're like, they, they do recognize he's insane. Yeah. But they're just weak. Yeah. Right. You know, and again, Wagner just leaves that there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, you get because because all through the story, you do see other judges go, Cal's nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, we should do something about him and then fail to do anything about him. Right. Right. You know, and there is the sense of the judges are all so loyal to this broken system mm -hmm. that they cannot prevent something they know to be wrong. Well, check out from Judge, Judge Slocum. Who's who's my favorite character, and and I'm actually kind of my big regret is that Slocum kind of doesn't get a better finale, you know, not nearly at the levels of frustration of Cursed Earth, but really early on, like the people, the judges from whom Dread and Giant get away, come to Slocum and they're like, "You got to help us." Cal's insane; he'll kill us when he finds out, and. Slocum says, don't ever call Judge Cal insane. He's just a bit strange, like all great men. Like Slocum, Slocum to me is so interesting in, in that way because he continually does things throughout the story that are 
he talks about how great Judge Cal is, but he also will maneuver like he ends up saving him, saving the two men by telling Judge Cal what Deputy Chief Judge Fish did to punish them. Like Cal runs in and they're dressed as girls and it's like he said it would be a lesson to every judge to behave like men, not little girls. And Cal's like, really? And 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 it's great. There's a thought balloon where he's like, it wouldn't do to overrule Judge Fish's decision. The men might lose confidence in him, which is great. And then he's like, an excellent decision. And, of course, one of the other brilliant things I love about this is later on throughout the mega epic, you'll see those two judges in dresses in the background doing stuff just as the same way that you'll see the judge in his underwear popping yeah, it's, up it's, in the corner it's amazing of isn't it because yeah. those characters just keep showing up yes it's not it's it's because there is a sense of you know uh the the, the judge in, in his underwear the two judges in dresses are uh, uh, a one of gimmick mm-hmm. but they're not because they keep coming back it's this weird reminder of yeah this is the humiliation they're they're facing Mm-hmm. You know, like that there, there is. We don't want you to forget this, yeah. which is really, really compelling. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there's so much, there's so much here. Yeah. Um, it's. I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but I, I'm not the only one who read this and thought about Donald Trump all the way through, right? Right. Of course, very much. As you point out, there's the point where he, uh, where, where Judge Cal. Because at a certain point, the populace has had it and they literally just start leaving the city. They would rather take their chances in the cursed earth than in Mega City One. And Cal flips out and demands that a wall be built around the city in three weeks. Not not so that to, to keep people from getting out, but to keep people from, I mean, to keep people from getting out, not to keep others from in. But it's the same concept when he's ranting about building a wall and how it has to be done so quickly you're like jesus fucking christ it's donald trump it is trump like you said the narcissism throughout the way that people get out of punishments in some cases by complimenting him or yes. flattering him. yes and, you know? and there is a point where you know again I, I i was complaining about bringing aliens into the dread uh, the dread universe and the day the earth dies a day the lot died has aliens it mm-hmm. brings in the clegs yes who are essentially like you know humanoid tyrannosaurus rexes mm-hmm. um who who are you know incredibly amusing yeah. you know slicey dicey and and, and they're yeah. just this, these hilarious bloodthirsty monsters but cal sees them being successful and is like maybe i was a clegg Yes, like there's something at that level of delusion where I was like, yes. oh, "Jesus Christ, it really is Donald Trump!" Yeah. Like it's so weird. Yeah, it's genuinely strange. Yeah, to read the day the law died today. Yes, because because it really is a he's very reminiscent of the current president of the United States. Yeah, but b there's something about that that makes you wonder about the complicit nature of everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like for for all that we're like, you know, why are the judges sticking with them? Right. You're like, oh, but that's right. Judge Kyle is judge is, is Donald Trump. Wait. Right. Well, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. No. Exactly. There's and there's no subliminal news feed that that's like 
that Trump has gotten a hold of that's fed to us every morning. You know, I mean, you could say that's Fox News, I guess. But, you know, ultimately, it's one of the things that's great is for Wagner's timing, he knows he knows the beats that he's supposed to hit by choosing when those beats land and making them land much later than you would think he he more or less is able to introduce real world ambiguity into an unreal situation he's he's able to do everything that mills can't through a through a a a better understanding of the importance of narrative and the importance of delaying the gratification of narrative I would say, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's for people who, who are going to jump in, um, you know, I, I assume that Graham knows, but for those listening at home, uh, some of the inspirations, the the inspiration from that Wagner took was from Tales of Caligula. In, in many cases, he actually did demand that that buildings and structures be built in unreasonably short periods of time. He did make a horse like a senator, I believe in 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 the Russian uh, the Roman Senate, it's it's a very um, it 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 is creepy how much it's like Trump. It's creepy how much when you dig into it, it's like Caligula, and it's creepy how much Caligula is like Trump. Is yes, exactly. It it draws these weird, wonderful parallels. Yeah, yeah. You know that that is that is a sign of of. I don't want to say great literature, but I kind of do at the same time. Like it's a sign of, of how good the story is. Yeah. It's a sign that the story is more than just, honestly, it's more than just the cursed earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a sign of what dread can do as a strip mm-hmm. and the potential for this to be satire beyond, you know, whatever is, is happening in on television at the time that issue of 2080 came out. Right. You know that the, there the, there is a a greater purpose that can be served by dread. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at the same time, it's it's also it's got a lot of really dumb, silly jokes. Yeah, you know, there's one point where where the the citizen Megazody one do rise up against Cal, mm-hmm. and just comes in and goes, "The people are revolting," and he's like, "Tell me something I don't know." Yes, which is such a you know yeah. such a terrible joke. Yeah, yeah, and and, and yet. There's something kind of hilarious about it at the same mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and and we should say like you know in response to to the people the people's uprising, uh, Cal is is again you know relating to 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 Trump. Cal is genuinely surprised that the people don't love him. Yes, but then just decides to be cruel to punish them. Yeah, yeah. You know he first of all tries to to win their favor. All crime is legal. You know, again, I love the that purge, the, purge, the purge. Yeah, exactly. Years mm-hmm. before the purge. Yep. Um, but then decides happiness is illegal, and then decides he's just going to kill everyone. Yeah. Because yeah. he's made everything so perfect, he's just going to kill everyone. Yeah. So that future generations will know how perfect everything was. Yeah. Was. You know, there, there's just, oh, it's so great, and also, cows. You know, for all we're saying, why the fact that why don't the judges do anything is really left as a dangling plot point for for a while mm-hmm. you know this story all told is is 23 odd chapters but 
it gets to maybe the final third before we actually find out that they've been brainwashed. That's right. But Cal happily described himself as a tyrant. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the world has known many tyrants, but I'm the greatest of them all. He says, a true tyrant, a tyrant's tyrant. A tyrant's tyrant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's, there's, there's something, you know, again, Wagner is not fucking around in this. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderfully compelling. It, yeah. It's so, so good. And and just watching the um, how he rebuilds Judge Dredd as a strip mm-hmm. during this because he does he reintroduces Mega City One he reintroduces the other judges as characters and differentiates them against Dredd mm-hmm. he, he you know he even reintroduces the Cursed Earth because the citizens try and leave and go back to the Cursed Earth that's right and and he contextualizes that in a way that. The Cursed Earth wasn't contextualized in the story of the Cursed Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, there, he, there's so much that happens in in these these stories, and it's still all in service of the story. Yeah, the the narrative momentum does not drop in this. It's it's we've talked on, on Wait What before about the ideal 2080 story. Mm-hmm. It's you know, you resolve the previous week's cliffhanger. You have a small amount of of development. You have a cliffhanger again. Yeah. And these, every chapter of this is that. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, and and one of the things that I actually like is again the there are fake outs. I love. There's this continual building in the early third where the where dread and the other judges from the academy basically are like, okay, these are impossible odds, but we're going to break into the armory and we're going to give these weapons to the people. And at that point, when it gets to them with the weapons and they're like, okay, we're going to give this to the people. You're like, okay, well game over, right? Like this, this story's over in like one prog, maybe two progs, you know, it's just another two installments. But then the Clegs show up, the people flip out, flee. Then Cal proceeds to order everyone to be put to death, the entire city in alphabetical order. Then because Judge Fish dies, he turns around and flips on that. And then essentially it's just, you get this whole sequence where it's like, okay, and then Dredd gets his act together and then he has to flee. And then you think Dredd is dead, but then it turns out he's alive, but he has to start from scratch. But then they figure out the secret of Cal's control over the judges and then they bring in Walter. And so it's it's a twisty, turny ride. But unlike the Cursed Earth, where it's like point A to point B, like Wagner very deliberately dangles the end of the saga in front of you at two or three different places. And just when you think, Oh, it's over. It, it just, he just, oh, he, he it just snatches it away. Yeah. It's you hilarious. Know? He really is like, you know, obviously the story has to go here. And then it's like, nah, now, nah. The, no, the story can't go here. I, I feel like it's super, super important to talk about Fergie. Cause Fergie is the, is the tweak of the day the law died and mm-hmm. is um I, I'm kind of curious as to your take on on Fergie, but before we get there, the one thing I want to point out is is that there's a whole sequence where 
it looks as if Dread and company have died uh, driving in their super cool vehicle that I also think might have been a toy. And they're, they're they're like bullet bus. Yeah, the bullet bus, which I swear to God, when I looked at it, I'm like, I think I had that toy. Like, I think that was also a matchbox. Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm anyway. So they end up basically falling through, uh, crashing through, apparently to their death, but through the street into the Ohio River. And in that sense, Wagner is very much like, yeah, Nomega City One is is enormous like it's you've got the ohio river going on right there but when they come out they sort of come out in these these catacombs and you have fergie show up and and what i love about this is wagner is like you don't have to take dread out of mega city one to get whatever you want in you know what I mean? Yes. Like Mega City, Mega City One can be whatever you want it to be. Exactly, and therefore you don't have to. If you want to bring in a giant mutant, a dumb giant mutant, you don't. You you just you just got to throw somebody through a street. That's all you got to do. I, I'm so glad you mentioned this because uh, we talked before about how Judge Giant just has the worst dialogue. There's a cliffhanger, which is the bus is falling to its doom, and then the next chapter, obviously picks up from that if we are to believe that these two things happened like the cliffhanger and then the picking up from the cliffhanger both quote-unquote happened right then that means while the bus is falling to its doom just giant simultaneously says just call my pappy and tell him i ain't gonna be home for supper <laughs> and then, holy smoke pappy never told me i'd end life as a pancake <laughs> again Josh Giant's dialogue in this is atrocious. Yeah, is is literally there, there, there mm-hmm. is no defense. Yeah. for Judge Giant's dialogue yeah. in this. Yeah, for all that we are saying that Wagner is a genius, and he is. Yep. there is no defense, none. Yeah. for Judge Giant's dialogue in this story. Yeah, like, we should l- literally pay terrible. reparations for reading this story. Yeah, it's it's terrible. But no, you're right. They they fall through and they they meet Fergie, who's who is essentially like again years before Chris Claremont comes up with the Marlocks and Callisto. We have the denizens of the Mega City One underworld and Fergie, who yeah, I am sure there's a joke I'm missing or a reference I'm oh, missing. Oh God, I thought you would get it because it seems no, so I, specific. I, yeah, I didn't, and it it but that's just it. It's so specific that I feel like it must be. I do wonder if it's a private joke. Mm-hmm. Especially because his final line before he dies is easy the ferg, <laughs> which is the greatest line, but it's so specific again. Yeah. You can't help but feel like Wagner is chuckling to himself as he's writing it because it's a joke that one other person will get. Right. You right. know, easy the ferg is such a great line, but what? Yeah. Yeah, Fer- Fergie is. Um, it's, uh, what? A super strong idiot, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, like it is 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 that is I mean is it as simple as that? I don't know. I mean, again, I really had the sense that Fer that Fergie, who is a, a is an enormous uh, idiot, uh, filled with tremendous amount of good humor, wears his hat sideways, always has a baseball bat in his hands, and has a ton. His, has, wears a vest that is covered in buttons. I really had the thing of like, I cannot wait for Graham to explain which thinly veiled Viz character this is, you know? Yeah, it 
Viz wasn't even around at this point, Jeff. Oh, really? Is this still before? It's pretty Viz, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, But here's the thing. Or Wizard, then. Wizard or, like, Beano or, you know, something. Yeah, I wish I did. I genuinely wish I did. But I do have one Fergie-related fact Mm -hmm. to remind you of and remind all of our listeners of. Fergie is Rob Schneider's character in the the Stallone Judge Dredd film. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that makes that, like, the best fun fact ever. How fucking great is that? Um, Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah, I don't know who Fergie is. I don't get it. Um, And it's – but it's – again, it seems so specific Mm -hmm. that it was actually distracting. Yes. The other thing that's weird is sort of in the the weird, like, this isn't going to help anyone, so I'll just mention it and move on, is A, there was a weird part in reading The, the Day the Law Died that made me think of Mark Miller's Civil War and uh, Strange... I, t- I actually totally get that. Do you? Oh, thank God. Okay. And then when Fergie pops up, between the her 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 and him sitting on his throne which is an enormous toilet he made me think of the few panels i had seen of is it big dave the, oh, yeah. so the, the, the miller uh mm-hmm. morrison c parker's character although no there's actually like big dave is 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 not fergie like well, yeah, there, right. there's a, there's a, a significant disconnect there right but right. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I definitely get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fergie, Fergie is something that I don't get. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, it's, it's it, there's something there. I just don't know what it is. The mention of Fergie reminds me also that of my favorite supporting character from this storyline, Judge Schmaltz. Judge Schmaltz is amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, Judge Schmaltz, kind of like the peasants are revolting, makes me feel like, uh, that, that Wagner was also sort of like weirdly mainlining Mel Brooks or something while watching this, you know? Because Judge Schmaltz is literally a character who exists to say incredibly sentimental things. Yeah. And then dies. Yeah. And everyone is bemoaning, like, his death and how, how wonderful he is. And then he comes back to say, like, and furthermore, I'd like to say, and they go, Judge Schmaltz has to get the last words. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's 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 a lot of stuff. Do, do you know the thing about uh, where Skrotnig came from? Uh, for the people who don't, uh, Skrotnig is actually, I saw it mentioned once or twice here in Case Files 2. I don't know if it popped up in, in Case File 1. It didn't. It just shows up now because I think this is when it came. I think this is the era that like it happened. Yeah. So people are like, ooh, that's so Skrotnig. So it's it's slang in, in the world of Judge Dredd. It it is apparently a typo that Jerry Finley Day had in one of his Rogue Trooper scripts where they were like, what the fuck is Skrotnig? And they figured out that it was his typo for scouting, I guess, because he was he had typed it too goddamn fast. But there... Well, apparently Finley Day's uh, typing was terrible. Mm-hmm. And he, he regularly had typos that made no sense. Yeah. And Skrotnig is just one that stuck. Yeah, right. 
as as a kind of you know sort of supposedly i think the same way that mills's pet name for aliens were thargs right isn't that the yeah i think so and so, that's his argument yeah got his name but it's funny because the appearance of fergie is like it's the thing that takes the story into the third act yes absolutely like Fer- fergie is 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 the thing that brings the story to conclusion because it's through fergie's guidance that they get into the academy of law the the um whatever the whatever the headquarters of the judges is called. yeah and it's fergie that ultimately kills cal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so fergie is is the turning point for this for the storyline right but i don't get what fergie means <laughs> right i you know yeah yeah this is this is one where i'm i'm hoping that word or one of our listeners can come come help me since i've i was like oh grandma no Fergie seems a bit like he's supposed to be a very goofy form of every man, you know, like he is supposed to represent because he is weirdly smelly and violent, but unbelievably good natured and is excited about the idea of, you know, is always always like ready to get heavy. But, you know. One of the things where Fergie, for of course, won me over is when he literally like hits himself in the face with a bat to try and hit a fly that's on his nose, and of yeah. course the fly, you know, dodges the bat, and Fergie's like, "Oh, you sure outwitted me!" Her, 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 and he's the the idea of him as essentially the ultimate good natured idiot. I wonder the extent to which he is supposed to represent the people of mega city sort of personified by this point, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, the part that is quote unquote good in both the satirical and and ways, because he is the one who it's like, he's the memorial. They talk about the memorials erected in every part of the city, but the one that we always see is Fergie king of the big smelly hero of mega city one. So we talked before about, you know, Cal's tyrant. Mm-hmm. There's that part in the middle where basically they're like, you know, Mega City One's terrible, but the trains ran on time. Yes, which I thought was very fascinating that it's a weird little because it it's it's a real it's a super, super brief digression, you know? Yeah, it's it's literally two panels. Yeah. It's two panels where it's like, you know, the, this is how horrible this place is, but the trains ran on time. Yeah. It's, which is the strangest thing right it's it's yeah. it's genuinely odd right um yeah it, it's just there's so much here in in the day the law died mm-hmm. that and uh, but you simultaneously can ignore all of that and enjoy it as a straightforward action adventure where literally the action never stops yeah in every single six page episode there is an action scene yeah there's rising action, falling action. And what what's also great is, is while I'm not paying attention, because the art is fabulous throughout, like Ron, Ron Smith pops up for yeah, right. you, get, you get your Ron Smith artwork in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, it's beautiful seeing Ron Smith. But you, I seeing him, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, Judge Dredd has evolved. Like, the look of Dredd has evolved to what we think of as current Dredd. Like, Boland... And McMahon continue to make Dread bulkier and bulkier to to eventually 
to he makes sense of what we see. So when the very sleek Smith style dread, which is pretty much the way that dread looks at the beginning of the cursed earth, it's kind of it was great for me because I had that moment of like, oh Jesus, like dread has been evolving before my very eyes, and yeah. I did notice of it. Crazy it, for me, it's actually there's Boland's. Uh, pages yeah it's specifically when when dread is fighting fergie Mm -hmm. there are specific dread shots in there that feel like much later dread yeah the idea that you know we're you know two years away from the the origin of dread Mm -hmm. not even two years Mm -hmm. um is is crazy yeah like the character has visually developed so much but you're right smith's appearance is feels like a thing especially because smith draws so much dread over like the next 10 years right but again, you've got McMahon in this. You've got uh, Boland in this. Mm-hmm. You have Brett Ewins in this. Right. I think uh, Brendan McCarthy shows up in, in in this as well. Right. Like there's there's the artwork is just incredible. Incredible, you although uh, amazingly all over the map in ways that I am oh, yeah. yes. mostly it, comfortable with, you know? But, you know, compare Ron Smith with any of those other artists. Oh, yeah. And it's very different line work. Compare Ewins and Bolands. Compare McMahon and any of them. Well, the, it, the Ewins McCarthy stuff looks like stuff out of, like, an underground comic for me. Yes. Like, it mm-hmm. is so different. And, of course, Ron Smith is, like, drawing... Caligula as Marlon Brando, but but I mean it's it's all over. And McMahon himself has stuff where his black and white drawing. This is how limited my palette is. Is I'm like, I think like McMahon must have been a much bigger influence on Frank Miller than I would have thought because there's stuff that McMahon's doing again when they're under with Fergie and it's all this subterranean stuff where it's all just simple heavy blacks and and white and stark whites that look like miller's sin city you know like 14 15 years before it pops out there's panels of you know sketchy scraggly yelling guys that are going to you know be popping up much much later in in miller and um it's just it's just a visual treat. I just wanted to mention that because I feel like I do love Ron Smith's work here. It's oh, parts of it are just beautiful. The the end of his um thing where the where the judges like sneak onto the streets and they're about to jump the Hall of Justice is just gorgeous, gorgeous work. You know, but. Um, so anyway, the it, the other thing that I realized in the course of reading the, the case files is I'm now pretty much inoculated to having the story art change dramatically from Prague to Prague, episode to episode, without without really it bothering me at all, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of yeah, crazy. Yeah, and, and I think it takes the day to die to do that. Yeah. Because the narrative, the the momentum just does get so strong, right, right. That you do just get. It's the same reason that I was continually just like sucked into reading as opposed to making notes. Yeah, because it just it, the story is just like you've you've got to fucking get on this bus. Mm-hmm. Like we we are not stopping. Yeah, the, yeah. The, this is what the story is. This is just what we're doing. You know, you're with us or you're not. Yeah, and it doesn't slow down, which is very much to its credit. I think. 
Oh yeah. Um, we sh- we should say very quickly that the the end of this this storyline is that the judges, the the dread and giant and the the academy of law teachers do theoretically unbrainwash the judges. The judges rebel against Cal. They beat back the the Clegg. The Clegg leave the planet, although they're later captured. As the judges en masse confront Cal, it turns out that basically Cal's hold of them is so strong that they they attack Dredd at all, uh, just on the sound of his voice. Fergie, being the hyper-strong idiot that he is, mm-hmm. breaks free and throws himself and Cal and a bunch of judges over the over the, the edge of the the um, of a, a giant statue mm-hmm. of the, of the judge statue. Cal is so insane that he believes that he can basically just command gravity to stop working as he's falling, mm-hmm. and so everything just goes splat. Yeah. Like it, and when I say go splat, like the sound effect is splat. Yes. It's a wonderfully dark ending, mm-hmm. but it satisfies in a way that the Cursed Earth doesn't. Yes, completely. It feels like it completes the narrative. It feels like you have reached a satisfying end to the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is left at the end of this storyline is Dread and Mega City 1 pretty much for the first time in like a year and a half. Because mm-hmm. you had Luna 1, then you had Dread and Mega City 1 for like three or four episodes. Yeah. Then you had the Cursed Earth. Mm-hmm. And then for this, which was dread for, more, for all intents and purposes in hiding. Yeah. For, you know, half a year. Yeah. Um, and at the end of this, you have Dread and Mega City 1 as a judge. Mm-hmm. And everything feels re-energized in you. Mm-hmm. And Mega City 1 feels like a different place. Or specifically, feels like a place mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it just, it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I wonder the extent to which uh, I, uh, maybe maybe this is a how do I put it? Maybe the way that Wagner has um, like Mega City One ends up becoming closer to uh, that weird mix of as much England now as America is the idea that you see it be demolished and it's in the process of being rebuilt. Like the the little aftermath page is just a page, but there there's a little bit of the idea that Mega City One has suffered now. You know what I mean? Like there's the larger suffering that the world has gone through with the atomic wars and the blah blah blahs. But Mega City One specific set of problems that it is rebuilding from puts it a little more in line with a Britain that is still, you know, culturally in the shadow of the the rebuilding after World War II? Or is that just too... I feel that might be a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if nothing else, this came out like 35 years after the end of World War II. Right, right. You know, like that feels, that feels like too much of a stretch to me. Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely makes, again, for very interesting reading today. Right. Yeah. It's such a strong arc. Mm-hmm. And it's such a strong arc after Cursed Earth, which is a fun arc. But like we said, it wasn't really a story. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that it's, it's just... I, 
not only is it very good in its own right, mm-hmm. it actually feels stronger because of what it follows. Oh, completely. No, 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 no. Again, like I said, if Volume 2 is broken into two men with two visions of dread, uh, to me, it ends up with a very, very, very clear winner. And that is that is Wagner. Like, it's Wagner's dread. It's not surprising that it goes on to be Wagner's dread from this point on. Cause yeah, exactly, he, because they, he has come up with a far more compelling version. Yeah, exactly. He he won, such as it was. The competition that didn't exist, you know. Um, so, uh, do we... I, we should mention, of course, again, one-parter, two-parter, three-parter. I think Judge Dredd and Punk's Rule is a really interesting uh, aftermath, in a way, for yes, Kirster. Yes, yes. Very much so. And I feel like it's an essential epilogue, to be mm-hmm. honest. I think so as well. Uh, ju- just as the Exomain two-parter that follows that feels like a, 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 an essential epilogue. Mm. Um, because they both feel like they are setting up Mega City 1. The mm-hmm. Punk uh, Rule feels like it's setting up Dread as mm-hmm. Lawman again. Right. And then Exo- Exomain feels like it's setting up Dread as... Or setting up Mega City 1 in a weird way. Like, feels like it's the, the most straight comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, we, that we've had in, this, in the, the book so far at that point. Um, one thing I want to say very quickly about Punctual is Gestapo Bob Harris. Mm. Um, I love the name. Mm-hmm. And it's a pun on Whispering Bob Harris, who was like the host of the old Crave Whistle Test on TV at the time. Ah, thank you. But but I I love Gestapo Bob Harris. It's such a funny <laughs> joke to me. <laughs> um, and also that you notice that the, the, the norm... That they're uh, they're mm-hmm. terrorizing the start of it is Clark Kent. Very much Clark Kent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask you about that. So, um, and it's interesting. I feel like Punk's Rule was one of the first, might have been the very first Dread story that I had seen. Um, certainly, that one page where Dread is um, come to collect the garbage and is shooting people kicking a dude in a throat and fires that hot shot that like fires around through a window and spins and shoots a man in the chest. It, when I was young, that was, I was like, what the fuck is this fucked up shit? It's, it's punk's punk's rule is very, very dark. It's a, it's a short little story. It's very it's, much. It's incredibly hardcore. Yeah, it really is. And again, is it does feel like like Wagner is kind of like this. This is this is kind of what I want to do. This is this is where this is kind of where this character can go. And I also feel in a sort of in the maybe in a not very serious way, or again, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but in the way that uh, Pat Mills. Um, pandered to the punks with spikes. Uh, this feels. This does not feel like pandering. Like this is. It's a. It's a nifty little piece of, you know, dark nasty. And you see like how amazing that the dread is, and that he more or less cleans up the place entirely all by himself. But that close up shot of, you know, that that one guy basically you know, say hollering, I'm a cheap punk is um, it's, it's very much Wagner being like, you know what? I am not, I'm, I'm not going to kiss these guys ass. There's no, it's not pandering. Let's put it that way. No, you know no, what I mean? 
and and again i think it to me ties into some of the ideas that that ford 99 puts forward in his post that wagner is not crazy about the idea of chaos and anarchy i doesn't it's something that he did not think helped him <laughs> that would well, you know no, it's really interesting because throughout all of dread mm-hmm. like i i mean this as you know if you look at dread from when he first appeared to dread what when he is what he's doing now not only has dread become more sympathetic as character as he has in many ways turned away from the fascism mm-hmm. inherent in the concept in the original but i feel that wagner has never really turned away from the idea that like you kind of need the judges yeah Yep. Like, I feel that Wagner is, is, it, it feels that you need something. Yeah. Along the lines of the judges, yeah. whether or not it's the judges themselves. Cause, you know, you were talking about the man who wrote the America storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the man who, who writes, you know, a letter from a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Someone who, who makes a point in the series of saying, no, no, these are fascists, these are bad people. Yeah. And yet, mm-hmm. there is a sense that he thinks that you need the judges or something similar to the judges. Yeah, yeah, like, you like know? yeah, like I said, I find I find that it's the only thing I can really sort of grasp around and and point as a comparison to is the stuff that I've read from Cormac McCarthy, where McCarthy spends a lot of time showing people in nature and talking about how beautiful nature is, but always talking about how unbelievably destructive it is. And civilization is always an incredibly frail uh, thing in McCarthy's books. And, and he's very much aware that without it, like he, he, he's always staring past the border of kind of where civilization ends, you know, he's always puts his characters on that border, but past it, what he sees, he's like, don't, don't fool yourself. It's, it's not good, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so I really do feel that there's a lot with, with Wagner where he's like, yeah, power corrupts. And yes, putting people in a position of authority and giving them power means that, that they will move towards corruption but you know if you but, let... but, but what do you do if you have nothing yeah exactly what what do you do if you've got if you've got uh you know caligula calling the shots you know so it's and in that sense i think that's probably it's probably why neither of us are really going to talk much about the dna man parts one through three because it's just sort of the last story in the volume and is notice, notable to me for being the last story in the volume. Oh yeah, exactly. It's literally like, and then they had some more pages to fill. So they just kept going. <laughs> exactly. No, it really is. It's like, Oh, and then there's the three parter of, um, of dullness. The one interesting thing about the DNA man, to be honest, is the idea that, um, there's a North side of mega city one. Yes. Right. With that. That's like that, a bridge. Yeah. That's that, mega city one. End. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you can take the bridge out of the city and, and there's and, a line. Yeah. A line in the bridge where like, if you cross it, you're not a mega city one anymore, yeah. which is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it is it's sort of it's such a really it's a long way through Mutie Land. Yeah, I don't know. It it th- there's all sorts of weird goofy stuff, but it's very much again perhaps because Brett Ewens does the work. It it's Judge Dread at such a underground comic e sort of thing like which it's, weirdly works for like a story of you know it's what's his name it's frankenstein it's frankenstein but is it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But is it not something ridiculous like manuel frankenstein or something <laughs> no it is right yeah i, I think you're like, right yeah yeah no milton milton, milton, milton d frankenstein, frankenstein. yeah, yeah. Good grief. Um, let's ask the questions that we asked last time would you recommend this is a first volume of judge trade for people you know I, for you Shit. I'm really tempted to say yes, although I don't I almost feel like I feel like it, maybe not because it 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 seems like it would be a volume that someone would be much more likely to put down a third of the way through and never pick back up. Yes. Exactly. You know. Like, you know, you kind of want to say start with it, but actually ignore the cursor at first. <laughs> right, exactly. Start with the Judge Cal stuff. Yeah, and circle back to it. Although maybe the Judge Cal stuff really rings so incredibly right by being preceded by everything that precedes. Yeah, it. I, I, I think that that's that's very possible. Mm-hmm. There, there is a sense of it hit so hard because it's following the cursor. Yeah, I, I felt that way for me because. There was stuff that I've encountered various elements of, of Wagner in Dread, and I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, if you say so. Whereas here, I was like, oh, motherfucker, yes. So I don't know. I it is, it's it's kind of tough. It's tough. I think it. I think it's a harder recommendation in a way for for newcomers, and yet I feel if it's something where you really want to get your brain around dread it feels essential so i don't know it's paradoxical yeah i i have to say like i kind of think i would recommend i think i think i would say that you know this is if nothing else like the card again the card starts is not bad right right it's not it's not necessarily great dread yeah But but again if you're coming to it fresh like if you have no idea what dread is, right, right, you don't really care about fine. dread. Yeah, it's kind, yeah. it's 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 a little bit like, you know, um, huffing a lot of paint and then reading Jack a big pile of Jack Kirby comics. You know, it's not that's not a bad way to to burn an afternoon. You know, but uh, and, and, you know, and then to go from that to the right. Judge Cup stuff. Yeah, I think would be kind of mind-blowing in a good way yeah i think so i definitely think so um so yeah no i mean with all my various caveats i guess i will i will say i I guess i agree with you like yeah i think someone someone who picks this up is going to get something out of it but i think that it might be a tough it's still it still might be kind of a tough uh, I loved it though. I really did. I I really enjoyed it. That was that was going to be my next question. I was mm-hmm. I was going to say, you know, how as the relative newcomer, mm-hmm. like how did how did you like it? Because I I really do have like a lot of problems. Of course, there's this one as it is, just because like it's not dread and it's just enough not dread to niggle at me. Sure, sure. Um, but at the same time, like the Cal stuff is just amazing. Yeah, the Cal stuff is amazing. Of course, the Cursed Earth stuff works for me in some ways because 
there's a certain amount of nostalgia for the shared touch points, you know, so, uh, and there is fabulous. If I had to pick, um, do you have a favorite installment from each storyline? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's not in the, the complete case files, but from Cursed Earth, it's, it's pretty much the, the, um, Burger Wars. Yeah. I, I would have to Uh, say, yeah. Yeah, um, and if that if we're going purely from what is in the case files, I think Cursed Earth actually has a pretty good like first episode mm-hmm. that 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 isn't really followed up on. But as much as like I hate the tutti frutti thing, yeah, I I I think that's a really solid first episode, and actually it seems like a great um a great start. And honestly, the, the first ep- the first proper episode of the day the law died, mm-hmm. the the one that has Goodman getting murdered and then dread getting shot yeah i think it's just a stunning episode yeah that's that's pretty I, I brilliant i think it's just just great stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that what about you uh for me i think i think you're right outside the realm of the case file the burger law this the second part or if i get to have both parts in there um the the hamburger stories outside of them i really think there's <coughs> a lot of charm like i said to the way the vampire story grows um and so maybe kind of its middle part where it kind of ends with with dread being like no the villagers are about to kill the last president of the united states where i'm just like what kind of insane cliffhanger is that like so on, it's a wonderful insane cliffhanger exactly so that that particular little one slice would get it for the inside the case files. And then from the day the law died, I love the episode of where it's Boland and Leach on art and Leach, of course, and Boland are kind of an, a, a really good pairing. And it, it opens up. It's uh, Cal has sentenced the entire city to death and a previous joke at the end of the pre at the previous Prague where he says that the executions will start in sector one, starting with Mr. Aaron, a aardvark and finishing with Mr. Zachary Zizz, then on to sector two and so on. I love the fact that we meet Aaron, a aardvark. I love the fact that there's a showdown between Drock and judge Slocum and that judge fish dies. And there's the funeral for judge fish. I, so that the this the whole section between the art, the craziness, and the wonderful moment of Judge Cal flipping out that the streets are deserted for the funeral just when he's expecting to wave to everyone. That's another Trump moment. Mm, yes. Oh my God. There's you know, so many you know, Trump wait, moments. Wait, yeah. No, but it really, you know, mm-hmm. the the whole. I, I there, there's there's there must be a crowd, but I can't see them. Maybe there's something wrong with my eyes. <laughs> yes. I'm, Really, it's it's so strange to read the story now. Yeah, yeah, it genuinely is, and and it kind of like jumps out at you. It's not even like it doesn't even feel like a stretch. No, know? no, it's true. It's true. There's a lot of me that has wanted to to um you know cover all the ground and sort of uh you know not focus on it, but we could really have spent the entire episode talking about the various strange Trumpisms. Because, of course, in that Caligula kind of way, Judge Cal is usually drawn with, like, you know, the this sort of crazy blonde haircut, and he's 
goofy looking, you know, in his his judge garb. There's points where he's drawn as just Trumpian, you know, just yeah. there's no other way to put it. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's funny. It's kind of chilling. I suppose it really is for people who really like arguably there's never been a better time to read the Judge Cal story the day the law died. Then right now, God help us all. So exactly, emphasis on that. God help us all. Yeah, Um, it's it's yeah. This this was a really good. This Mm -hmm. was a really really good volume. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's funny. I felt kind of ambivalent about volume one Mm -hmm. because the the quality is all over the place. It's all good, but it's a good dread as a question. And you know, the art there is a lot of. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's all good, and it's not. There's, there's, there's some trash in there too. Yep. But this, this is all good comics, and yeah. at least half of it is good dread. Yeah. Right. You know, and it does feel like a reboot of the series. It kind of feels like two reboots of the series, to be honest. Yes. But, but it feels like at the end of this, dread is the dread it should be. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. You know, which is is particularly wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and pretty powerful in a way. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite the little volume. Uh, Graham, should we should we wrap this all up? Tie this off with a bow so that you can... I I think that we should one hundred percent wrap this all up. There will be show notes for this episode up on Monday at weightwadpodcast.com. While you're waiting for that, why don't you check out our Tumblr, weightwadpod.tumblr.com. You can also check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash weightwadpod. And we have a Twitter account at weightwadpodcasts. Jeff Lester, the esteemed host of this episode, is at LazyBastid on Twitter, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M on Twitter, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. It's clearly getting late. I'm just stumbling over things. It's a problem. So I'm going to say we're also Patreon-supported podcast, and Jeff can take the wheel. Take us away, Jeff. Yes. Uh, yeah, we are incredibly lucky to be supported by so many listeners who make it a point to tune in to us and, and let us know. Uh, Graham is used to running down the list. I should mention that we just added uh, our small suite of podcasts to Spotify. So you have to dig a little deep to get to it. But if you search on wait what podcast and then usually throw in either Graham or Jeff, we will pop up and you can listen to all of us, all of our podcasts through Spotify, which we appreciate. We, um, we, you know, do this for free and thank goodness we are much inspired by the generosity of our listeners who share their comments and their thoughts and a little bit of their Mega City One creds with us, thanks to um, the fine people at Patreon, uh, including Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for not pulling any sort of Judge Cow like maneuver and sentencing us to death. We're forever in your debt. Thank you. It's only a matter of time, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, all, all crime is legal, all happiness is legal, illegal, and then Empress Audrey can just be like, yeah, sure, and now, now you have to die. Yeah. The entire galaxy has to die. Yep. Thanos-esque. <laughs> um, we are going to be back next week with a, a, an episode of the Wait What podcast. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back in a month with The Next Rock, which is the uh, third volume 
yes. of the complete case files. And unless I'm completely misremembering, I don't think there is like a mega epic in the next volume at all. Mm. I, th- I think it's it's lots of short stories again. Wow. Is, okay. It's going to be fun because mm-hmm. this one, I've got to be honest, having two mega epics right next to each other was kind of tiring to read. Yeah, it was it was kind of exhausting. So hopefully it'll be easier to sort of uh, drop in and out. But uh, join us next time. And, uh, you know, please go grab a case file and read it yourself. Drop by our uh, uh, the website and uh, share your thoughts in the show notes. As you can tell from Ford 99's quote, we got some very, very smart people contributing. And uh, until next time, uh, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. <laughs>